waters of Babylon like a rebel fish, jungleist, specialist, predator, and survivalist, spitting heaven, fighting from his lips, burning slave driver. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people We'll turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Though thy getting get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, you can go to a bb2me.com. That's a B I B I T U M I.com forward slash time for an awakening. And you ought to hear the live stream playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app in that TuneIn search engine. Just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream your program live, even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening Radio Program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always for the latest podcast of the various programs on Time for an Awakening. Interesting articles that you can read. Download at later times and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight. The time for an awakening media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia. And then when your Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, that's uh, Sunday, December 11th, 2022, on this winter night up in Philly, PA. Uh, I guess tonight uh, we had uh, a little change because activists, national organizer, our brother Ajabu was supposed to join us. Also, Brother John Barnett of an organization that was uh, in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, over the, this past weekend. But joining us tonight, a uh, special guest, 
organizer herself and a member of Emmett Till's family. Miss Pris- uh, Priscilla Sterling is joining us to give us an update on what happened took place uh, outside the home of Emmett Till, Till accuser, Carolyn Bryant in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, give our listening audience an update on what was going on and uh, the continuing uh, quest for justice for not only the Emmett Till family, but black folks in the United States in general. Also joining the conversation with us this evening, the active organizer of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Lumumba, will be joining the conversation and uh, we'll kind of, kind of continue the conversation uh, later on in the program with Brother Lumumba. Always glad to have him with us. But we'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. 
Let new business solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, other than, as usual, the cold going on and uh, that's going on here in Philly. But I'm also, uh, you know, I'm really um, happy that um, that not why we're having the update and the discussion, but that we're maintaining by having the update and discussion um, things that deal with justice as it relates to black folks, um, because I think it's important for us to be able to do that in a time when, you know, so many other things are so in, and so many other questions are up. Should we keep memory of events? Should we be evaluating the justice systems as it relates to right now? Uh, should families be able to, continue to advocate for personal justice and closure. I think that those things are important. And uh, this, this conversation gives us with um, um, sister Sterling gives us another opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know, uh, Richard, this, uh, <clears throat> this fight is going to continue. Uh, it would be helpful if uh some of the folks that supposed to be leading the fight were involved. Uh, and uh, if people don't know who I'm talking about, they'll find out later on in the program, but it's good that we have our people that are on the ground. That's always been fighting historically and, uh, this present day to fight for justice for our people. Uh, Richard, before we, um, introduce our guests, uh, I got a couple of clips that I want to play in reference to um, what happened uh, last weekend. Uh, one of the clips contains the voice of our guest, Miss Priscilla Sterling. But let me play these uh, two clips uh, for our listening audience. Uh, media clips about uh, what happened on December 
the third. Civil rights group called True Healing Under God is scheduled to hold a protest at the home of the woman who caused Emmett Till, a 14-year-old boy, to be hanged in 1955. The organization says they want the states of Mississippi and Kentucky to honor the arrest warrant of Carolyn Bryant Donham. According to the leader of the civil rights group, John C. Barnett, Donham has been on the run over, over the past 70 years. He also says, despite Donham's age, it is not too late for justice to be served. Ms. Donham has been running from Jackson, Mississippi to Raleigh, North Carolina, and now Bowling Green, very nice, quiet city. But little did Bowling Green know that she was living right up under their noses. Yes, she's 87 years old. I don't care if she's 97 years old. She needs to go to jail. Barnett says groups of people from 13 states will be attending the protest tomorrow. It is scheduled to begin at noon here in Bowling Green. Let me play this next clip, and this next clip contains the voice of our guest. We were supposed to have a a brother, John Barnett, with us this evening. He was representative of one of the other groups that was there, True Healing Under God. Uh, But he was traveling at the time, and he uh, can't make it uh, for tonight's show. But hopefully we'll uh, grab him for one of the future upcoming shows. This next clip contains the voice of our guest. Protesters took to the streets of Bowling Green to make their voices heard and demand justice for Emmett Till, who was lynched for whistling at a woman in 1955 at the age of 14 years old. According to protest organizers, Carolyn Bryant Dunham, the now 87-year-old woman who accused Till, is living in an apartment complex on Shive Lane in Bowling Green, Kentucky. The protesters gathered outside the complex, urging a Mississippi court to order the arrest of Dunham and say they will not stop fighting until justice is served. We're going to keep putting pressure on Carolyn Bryant until from the cradle until she's in her grave. And I said pressure. We got to keep the pressure. This is not it. The fight's going to continue to keep going. Bowling Green police and a private security agency surrounded the perimeter of the apartment complex, only allowing residents of the apartment into the vicinity. Priscilla Sterling, a distant cousin of Emmett Till, spoke to the crowd of protesters, saying the laws in the United States are unfair and unjust to people of color. The focus here today is about justice. It's about America. The laws are not pertaining to white people like they are to blacks. It's a double standard here when it comes to the laws in the United States. Despite Dunham's age and declining health, one of the protest organizers said she should still be arrested for her involvement in Emmett Till's death. He also says until she is arrested, there will be no peace. As a man or woman saw it, that shall she also reap. Where there is justice, there can be no peace. Where there has been no justice, there will be no peace in the life of Carol and Brian. We have God's The voice you heard in those collages, one of the voices, the sister that you heard was one of the voices of our guests. She's a family member, a cousin of Emmett Till, and we're glad to have her with us to give us an update on what went on 
on December the 3rd and some upcoming things that's going to be happening around the struggle to get justice for the Till family, uh, for Emmett Till, uh, our guest this evening in the first portion of the program. Sister Priscilla Sterling is with us. Sister Sterling, are you there? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, hear you loud and clear. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us on Time for an Awakening with myself and Brother Richard. Good evening. Yes, sir. Uh, Sister Sterling, uh, tell us, um, because I, I did catch uh, um, you on the, the uh, television interview. Uh, they, they caught you speaking to the, the uh, gatherers there uh, to demand justice uh, uh, for your family and for Emmett. Yes, sir. But talk about yes. um, the, the, before you talk about anything dealing with what happened on December the 3rd, I want you to talk about it from a family perspective. And I don't know whether this question is out of order. Richard, I want you to bear with me. But Miss Sterling. It's, it's, yes, sir. Okay. I, I just uh, was a little interference there. Um, I, I want you to. I want you to walk our listening audience through this because you have. A lot. We uh, we might have to go to a quieter area, Miss Sterling, so we could kind of because it's a little in the background. Okay. I guess. Okay. I know you. I know you with your family, but uh, just just kind of bear with us. I, I want you to give our listening audience a little perspective because a lot of black folks have had uh, these things happen in their family. When I'm talking about uh, these things, I'm talking about family disruptions, lynchings, murders, other th- uh, terrible atrocities happen in black families. The majority, yes, the overwhelming majority of black families never talk about them. They might move from down south, move up north. And you never hear about the horror stories that happen in the families. When those things come up, they change the subject. They don't talk about it if they're even, even if they even have knowledge of it. But talk about it from your family's perspective, because what happened to Emmett was national news among black people, and it changed yeah. the, the dynamic of the civil rights movement. But your family yeah. and you stayed down there in Mississippi and in that area, Money, Jackson, all of those areas, you stayed down there. You were, uh, your family stayed in the same proximity with some of the families of those murderers. Talk about it from your perspective of how the trauma that your family suffered dealing with that and still living in the same area. Can you, can you, if you understand my question, can you help us with that? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, it was back in 1955. Uh, gone out of here. We all knew that there was an arrest warrant. We all knew that on August the 28th, when they had come to the house and pulled Emmett out of the house, Carolyn Bryant was there. And as far as being there, that morning... Uncle Moses went to the police department and J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant were arrested. 
There was also an now, arrest warrant for Carolyn Bryant. Now, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut across you, uh, Sister Sterling. You said that when they came there to, when they came there to kidnap Emmett, Bryant was yes, with that. She was with them. She was with them. Okay, go ahead. She was with them. And Uncle Moses, late on that morning, had gone to the sheriff department and they picked up J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant and also put out the judge wrote out on a search warrant for an arrest warrant for Carolyn Bryant for kidnapping and accessory. So after that, the reason why they never picked her up, they said that she left town and plus she had two little boys. But mind you, the trial began September 19th to the 25th. Carolyn Bryant was sitting right there with J.W. and her husband, Roy Bryant. The trial again in November for kidnapping, because the first trial was for murder. The second trial was for kidnapping. She was right there. So you tell me why she still was not served that, uh, uh, that warrant for kidnapping and accessory to murder. Fast forward, we're here 2022, June. My family goes and finds the warrant in the basement in Greenwood, Mississippi, in the courthouse, in the bottom of the basement. The warrant states that Carolyn Bryant was like the charges accessory to murder and kidnapping. The reason why we were in Bowling Green was to for to force them to serve that warrant. But I don't know if the world knows that the DA decided to convene a grand jury and they know bill to arrest or serve the arrest warrant for Carolyn. Now, what they what people don't realize, and I don't even think the state of Mississippi realized how smart that we are, and when I say we are, present day and time, I did my research along with many others, and we found out that how can a jury, a grand jury, convene and no bill an arrest warrant when an arrest warrant was never served to the a person that was supposed to be arrested? What I'm saying is the state of Mississippi did something fraudulent. What they did was this year when the DA, Dwayne Richardson, convened a grand jury and they no billed it, how can you no bill an, uh, Carolyn Bryant when she never was arrested. That was fraudulent within itself. So we decided to get together, True Healing Under God, the New Black Panther Party, along with the Veterans Association, along with many other protesters and my family to go to Bowling Green and demand that Bowling Green, Kentucky, along with Jackson, Mississippi, serve the warrant. None of that didn't happen. So now what I also want to discuss is the reason why Carolyn Bryant was never served and the reason why we're fighting so hard because you have white power structure, white supremacy that's rule that rules the state of Mississippi. And I spoke then in Bowling Green how we have eighty two counties here in the state of Mississippi. Forty five of these counties are overwhelmed with white supremacy organizations. And I mentioned those in Bowling Green. And you also had, back in 1955, United States Senator James O. Eastland, another United States Senator, both of them from Mississippi at the time in 1955, John C. Stennis, 
had come to trial in 1955, November 1955, the kidnapping trial, brought information from the Department of Defense and used it in Emmett Till's murder trial to get J.W. and Rob Bryant acquitted. That's the reason why Carolyn Bryant is never charged. You had United States senators that were sitting there with the sitting president, Eisenhower, at that time in 1955, come to Mississippi and bring, and I don't know if the people know, but they brought information that Louis Till and Miss Daddy killed white women, raped and killed white women in Italy while he was in the war. That never happened. But to diminish the case and get sympathy from the state of Mississippi, which were the jurors, they dropped all the charges against J.W. Milam, Rob Bryant. And that's the reason why Carolyn Bryant was never served. So this, these are the issues that we're fighting against right now. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Sister Sterling, the, uh, you mentioned that, uh, that in Bowling Green it was several groups that was involved. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. I talked with uh, uh, Malik Zulu Shabazz and uh, and the rep- and her and her representative Miss Brooks. So I do know that the new Black Panther Party was uh, was involved and there uh, instrumental in the protest. Uh, I seen in a published report that a um, a group uh, and I was uh, I was. Pleasantly surprised, but I seen a group that represented Dick Gregory. Uh, the Dick Gregory organization was there. Can you tell me how many yes, groups sir. was represented there? Oh, we had about twelve groups there. Okay, we had about twelve over twelve groups there, and I think I, it was powerful because they were really concerned. They were really involved. They was with us, and my attorney, our attorney. The Honorable Malik Shabazz did an excellent job with conveying to the the public about actually why we were there. Now, when you talk with, um, because I'm quite sure that that the black folks that lived in Bowling Green came out. Well, were they yes, were they aware of anything going on in their own town? Yes, sir. Because we had gone to. Oh the no, no, no! I'm not. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about what you what what y'all were doing in regards to the protests. But I'm talking about uh, that woman living there uh, in town. Were they aware of any of that before uh, they seen what y'all were doing and bringing this information to the forefront? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, the national civil rights activist John uh, John Barnett did an excellent job with putting flyers and information out there prior to us coming to uh, Bowling Green. So he got everybody. Uh, the knowledge and the knowledge of what was happening prior to us coming. But other than that, I don't think so because I think she was meant to be hidden. And when we found her, I think there was a shock to the, the, the whole state, <laughs> really the whole town. I think there was a, a shock for us to have found her. Cause we, like I said, we were in Raleigh before. Now we're here in Bowling Green. And then we heard that she had come back to Clinton, Mississippi, right next door to Jackson, Mississippi. So yes, she is right. Yeah. We have pictures of her and, and her son, I mean, her family going in and out. So yes, it's, it's something going on there. So they're, they're kind of moving her around and I understand they moved her out of uh Bowling Green. Did they move her out of Bowling Green? 
as far as we know, we heard we uh, we saw a moving van, and we found that new moving van to be located here in Clinton, Mississippi. Okay, all right. Um, I'm kind of Richard. I saw some footage there, and it was a lot of young people uh, that was involved in the the action up there in Bowling Green. Um, I'm glad that the uh, Sister Sterling mentioned about the the preparation. Uh, for the brothers and sisters coming there, they had to have boots on the ground, Richard, to distribute all these flyers in people's right. homes to let them know what was going on. See, that that's yes, the type sir. of organization that we need. That's what yes, we need. Sir, we need more of those organizations, especially what's going on in our society today. We can't get justice for Carolyn. And we. <clears throat> the reason why we fight so hard, because if we get the Department of Justice the United Nations and other governmental agencies, that is their fundamental rights to prosecute this case, to reopen this case and prosecute it. We can get justice for many other cases. Emmett Till is just a forefront because it began with the civil rights movement of bringing attention to cases as such, injustices that happen to black people regularly. So that's the reason why we're out here fighting so hard, demanding answers, boots on the ground, organizing, making sure people get out and vote for who we need to have in office. This is the purpose of us getting together. Uh, before I pass the mic over to Brother Richard, I want to read a statement. Um, and and we've talked with uh, uh, with uh, Brother Patrick Lumumba, who will be joining us shortly, um, in reference to this. But... <clears throat> Let me read this statement and give me your thoughts before I pass the mic to Brother Richard, uh, uh, Sister Sterling. Yes, this is a yes, statement sir. from the Bowling Green chapter of the NAACP. Uh, this published report says the Bowling Green NAACP has released a statement explaining why they will not be participating in the protests. It says, while the NAACP does continue to fully support the call for justice for Emmett Till, we will not take part as a sponsor, participant, or in any other fashion related to this protest. This is due partly to the safety concerns for the event, um, as well as f- focusing our energies on those who are currently being discriminated against and need immediate assistance. The NAACP recognizes the full weight of Mr. Till's story, and the weight of so many others who have been harmed or killed by racist acts throughout the course of history. Uh, so this is the reason why they said that they was not getting involved uh, in a in the yes. struggle for justice for not only Emmett Till and not just your family, because you realize, Sister Sterling, that this affected every black person in this nation. So when you say That's that right. you're not struggling for justice for Emmett Till's family, then you're not struggling for justice for black people. That's what it boils right. down to. That's right. So, and and to come back to your conversation on that, I think that's a pitiful excuse. That's a very pitiful excuse because not only did you not come out, but you are aware of the threats that were targeted at the protesters that were coming into Bowling Green. You are supposed to be there to be some type of voice to the community. It's for the national advancement of color people, okay? So you're supposed to be in our front. If we were not there trying to get justice for not only Emmett Till, but for the threats that were happening in Bowling Green. 
So make that make sense to me. <laughs> that does not make sense. That's like a cop out. And why would you? Why would you be? I mean, not be involved. Who who was behind telling you all not to be involved? So to me, it's deeper, and we need to go back and redress what's going on with the NAACP <laughs> these days. Richard, I'm a pet. Richard, you know, and th- and thank you for that that, that uh, powerful voice, um, uh, Sister Sterling. I, I want to, if you don't mind, it's a cup. You know, I wanted to go back to Elliot's uh, initial question, but. Also, something a clar- make clarification of something you said, so I'll be clear myself, um, and maybe even um, later on follow up with um, brother brother Alexander. You said in the eighty two counties in Mississippi, did you say forty five of them, as you understand, have white supremacist organizations? Yes, sir, white supremacist organizations, and I called them out when we were in Bowling Green. And I can call them out again. And see, the problem is we have an attorney general whose daddy owns the home of Nathan Bedford Forrest, the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, and it serves as a corporate resort for corporate businessmen that come into Mississippi to do you not understand me? On the 8,000 Galilina plantation in Holly Springs, Mississippi, where Ku Klux Klan organizations are alive and ready. Mm. I think that that's in, that's important when we're looking over uh, the relatively not too long history from 1955 to today. Um, yes, sir, and, it is. And, and the other um, point that Elliot raised, and I wanted to, and because you, and I latched on something you said, and, and this goes towards the point of how memory is transferred um, from one generation to the next. Uncle Moses. Yes. Right. Yes, sir. Um, and you explain what he actually did. Um, is he a distant uncle to you, one or two generations, or um, you know, is he? Yeah, he's a distant uncle to me. Um, and and could you, you know, the reason I'm, I wanted to make that clear for the listening audience because going back to what I thought um, Brother Elliot was raising, because in the family. Um, the family's communications, whether it be, you know, get-togethers or whatever, is the Emmett Till story and all that you understand now as you're um, one of the advocates for the family and and the organization of, um, you know, Emmett Till Justice for Families, um, is this story continuously transferred as far as what happened to Brother Till? what what's it's, happening in that area that you live in? Is is that a part of the conversation from one generation to the next? You know what? And this, and I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> Only when I began, when I was in grad school, I did my thesis on <clears throat> using effective leadership and diversifying the curriculum in the state of Mississippi. I started doing research. And really and truly, we have just come to find out a lot of things, just like with the United States senators being involved with the trial of helping J.W. Milam and Roy Bryan get acquitted. We also found a man that was also, I interviewed here last year, was there at the store that the FBI never interviewed black man who still stays right beside the store and worked for Roy Bryan, who was his his uh, <clears throat> what you call it? His 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 uh, the the boy that worked for you at the time, and they call him 
in in the in the fifties and the sixties when he was his handyman. Mm. And he rolled with J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant, and he was there at the store during that time, and he knows everything what happened in the case. And it's shocking to us because the LBI never interviewed him. Mm. Mm. So you got all these missing pieces. Like I said, you got the arrest warrant that says that she was kidnapping, accessory to murder. You never arrested her, but you have a grand jury convened and meet and no bill without anyone being indicted to come before a grand jury. I had a jury a year and a half ago. I know you cannot called to a grand jury to convene and the person was never arrested. I mean, that's fraudulent. So mm -hmm. the state of Mississippi right now, that needs to be looked at into. I don't know why the Department of Justice chose to close the case December of 2021, but right now it needs to be reopened because we have all this evidence that we have always had and we've just met with the Department of Justice March 8th of this year. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is not about us having the evidence, the information to go forward with reopening this case and getting justice, getting Carolyn Bryant warrants served, getting her served with that warrant. It's about white supremacy ensuring that we have no power because they have the power, and they're showing us that they have the power because our government is not holding them accountable. Where is our integrity commission? This is what I'm talking about. Anytime Donald Trump can come here so freely and get donations and come here and ram his, his base for a new election, what does that tell you about this state? What does that tell you about the right supremacist organizations here in this state? So that's what I want to happen. I want the government, our task team, God, it's now time. God sees it's time for us to have turned over a new chapter. It's time for us to get together and change. And the only way that's going to happen is they're going to have to hold these people in these racist organizations who sit above to ensure that laws don't pass, justice is not served, hold them accountable. It's got to happen. That's the only way I see it can happen. The government, the president of the United States, the United Nations, they're going to have to do something about this. And, you the know, evidence is there. And you know, um, and, and I'm and I'm glad you're you're because what you're saying kind of speaks to the other thought question I had. Um, and, and and I'm because I'm interested in how we um, maintain a memory so that we can be able to hold people, hold systems, the justice system, you know, the state, um, and the people, um, the white supremacist organizations, hold them accountable. So uh, and so it comes to mind. Um, and still with this this thought of memory, you, you had said that in Bowling Green, to your understanding, the people who lived there didn't know that this woman was there, right? No, sir. And no, sir. and what I'm what I'm what I'm asked, what I wanted to ask, um, you had said, and I, I read in a, a report, it said there is no expiration date for justice. So right. in the in the do the people where you live and in Bowling Green recognize or feel or believe or have confirmed over and over again, um, like with this grand jury indictment, um, non-indictment, that there is no justice in these counties in Mississippi um, as it relates to black folks. Is that a understanding from your experience that that is like a known fact? Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. And that's the reason why we are out here. That's the reason why we are protesting. That's the reason why we are coming out on behalf of our people is to let them know, wake up. It's time for you all to wake up. (laughs) It's too many missing people. It's a lot of missing black men. It's a lot of missing black women. If you have these racist organizations that they are not being called out, the government is in, and people are not aware of what's going on, just like during the January 6th insurrectionists. These people planned and plotted prior to coming to the White House January the 6th. It's the same way with these racist organizations. They're out there planning and plotting God knows what. But if our government is not bringing it to the forefront and before the media to let the people know, hey, look, this is who we have out here in our communities. This is who sits on this board. These are your doctors. These are your lawyers. These are your teachers. We need to know what white, what people in our community belong to these racist organizations so we do not promote their businesses and we do not go to them to kill us. And, you know, Ellie, before I, I, you know, this question, you know, and I'll transfer it back to you, um, Sister uh, Sterling, and, and, and you're right. And Elliot ended in his questioning, and you are you emphasizing he ended in his questioning about um, the young people within. And I'm going to deal with those who came out, those in Bowling Green County, and then and are you in Clinton County? Is that what I understand? Uh, I know I'm in Mississippi. No, oh, Bo- okay. Bowling Green. Uh, there was that's in Kentucky. Bowling Bowling Green's in Kentucky. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, are the young people around where you are? Are more aware or about what is going on as it relates to the justice system? No, sir. No, sir. Because think about it. The media, the media is our biggest problems in the community mm. of getting uh, of information being put out before the masses. The media is at fault purposefully. They don't want to want us to know. They don't want us to know about the Ku Klux Klan that is alive and well and, and studied, uh rising in numbers. They don't want us to know. But that is very important for us to know, especially when we send our children out here to colleges. We're sending our children to go out here and be great, and then next thing you know, they're coming up missing. We can't just blame that on black people because if you don't, if you all don't fail to realize, 85% of the crimes that are committed is white on white. But the news and the media is not going to put that out there. They're going to put black on black crime every time just so it can, in our minds, make us a negative connotation of what's going on with us. But really and truly, Really and truly, what's happening in America is the crime. And we shouldn't have any crime. I'm not saying it. But 85% of the crime that is happening is 85% white-on-white crime. The media. The media is not going to put that out there. So what we need is media attention to these causes that's happening in all of our communities. And when I say the hate map in these racist organizations, I'm talking about the hate map in every state. There is hate organizations in every state. I have a hate map that displays numbers of hate organizations in each state, all 50 states. Mm. All 51. Thank thank you. Thank you. And, and Ellie, um, um, Sister Sterling brings out a lot of very important and powerful points in relationship to what we're dealing with. <laughs> and we always talk about 
what the black press is not doing in relationship to on what's going on. The black press don't have enough um, they don't have enough uh, uh, what is it called? Broad way for the media information to come out here. We're not broad based. If we were broad based we will we will be able to get this information out here to the masses. But we it's like we sit in dust. We're sitting dust to things that we need to know. That's what I'm saying. We need to know these things. It's, it's almost like history with the uh, critical race theory and they're taking, they threw away all our books out of our, out of our public schools here in Jackson. We, I helped them because it was mandatory that we get rid of all the books out of our schools and we threw away probably over 100,000 books out of our schools. I know at one of my schools it was over 100,000. Brand new books. So that's what I'm telling you. If they're able to make those kind of calls, what are we sitting back doing? There needs to be organizations, and I'm not just talking about black organizations. There need to be organizations that come together and dismantle this white supremacist system in the United States. That's what I'm talking about. You know, uh, before we... um because we'll go to a break in about 10 minutes. Let me read this uh, uh, statement from uh, Brother Ajabu, who couldn't make it with us this evening. It says, uh, this week, and this was uh, from last week, so I assume that it was all, probably already done. It's a good thing that he uh, he's not with us this evening. Well, not a good thing that he's not with us this evening, but we'll get him on to talk about it. This is a statement that he made. Uh, this week, we plan to file suit in federal court in Mississippi that says if the warrant on Carolyn Bryant is not served, the justice system should not serve anyone because it would be a violation of the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution that guarantees right. equal protection under the law. So yes, sir. you see that uh, Brother Jabu, along with uh, uh, the whole organization, Zulu Shabazz and others, are filing suit in federal court in relation to this. This is my question. This is my question, uh, Sister Sterling. And then I'm a, I'm a, before you leave, I'm going to bring Brother Patrick in. And then this yes, call sir. is on the line. Just before you leave us, I want to see whether they want to have something to say to you personally. But let me yes, ask sir. you this, because some of the elders in your family that was more familiar with Emmett and maybe around his age or a little bit older, they probably have gone on to the ancestors. So you are a representative of your family and probably a few others. This this is the question. Have Benny Thompson or any other so-called powerful elected official in Mississippi reached out to you personally, met with the family, said that they're going to try to struggle to get justice? Have any meetings occurred uh, with some of the officials in the NAACP in the state? Have any of these elected officials who black people vote for reached out to the family. Well, I have a cousin who's working like I am on this case. I mean, we're working together, but she's out of Minnesota with the legacy foundation. And I'm pretty sure something has happened where she had gotten with them. But as far as me being here in my family and we've been fighting, no, sir, okay. no, sir. Okay. And, and for all this to be going on, you know, Bennett Thompson's in the forefront of this insurrectionist movement, and he's doing a lot with that. But we need help on the ground with he calling about the 
the Ku Klux Klan Act, right? You you remember when the, he decided to file a case for the Ku Klux Klan Act versus what happened during the insurrectionist yes. uh, situation? Yes. Well, that that Ku Klux Klan Act pertains to the Emmett Till case. And I don't know if he's aware of the hate map here, and he may be, it might be so, but this is when we need to come together. You being a congressman, along with the family and the information we have, need to make sure that this get done from Washington to Mississippi because Mississippi is the hub of the races, and it spurs out. They go to Washington and work hard. And see, when I talked about James Eastland and John Sanders, who, you remember James O. Eastland was the head of the the Judiciary Committee that stopped all the civil rights bills that had come across the desk in 1955. So you have him being involved in the Emmett Till case. Look at how that looks. A U.S. senator, a U.S. state senator from Mississippi, two of them, that... They have all kind of accolades. They run everything you know about Old Miss. They have a James Eastland room. They have all his statues and everything. Then you have the John Stennis NASA program. But these people are staunch Ku Klux Klansmen, conservative citizens council that run and I mean run in businesses and citizen places, but yet blocks and stop civil rights movement, civil rights bills. So that's powerful. Look at how no one is holding these people accountable, and we still living in this society, still warranting this uh, cruelty as far as justice not being served in our community. It's terrible. We have. I'm looking for our national leaders. I'm looking for people to speak out. I don't see them. Besides meeting Mr. John Barnett, I don't see the others. Venice Thompson should be a prime example. He should be running the forefront for everything that I've just said about this racism, these white power structures here. <laughs> uh, uh, Derek Johnson, the, the uh, director over the NAACP right here from Jackson, Mississippi. He's from, All this he's stuff from, needs to be done and something needs to happen with it right now. He's from Jackson? Yes. <laughs> you know, before I bring Brother Patrick in, uh, on, in on this conversation, let me play this clip here from the police department that uh, in Bowling Green and what they said in reference to uh, the gathering that happened over Karen Bryant's house and uh, what they said about uh, threats. Let me play this for the listening audience before I bring Brother Patrick in. Yes, sir. Good morning. I'm Chief Michael Delaney with the Police Department. Sheriff Brad Hightower and I would like to share some information with you. As publicized, there are at least three groups planning a protest to take place at noon on Saturday. These groups intend to protest simultaneously at the Justice Center on Center Street and the 1000 block of Shive Lane. Late this evening, we learned of a threat to these protesters. The specific threat is threatening to shoot anyone who is protesting and anyone helping the protesters. As of this moment, we have not been able to determine the validity of this threat. However, we feel it is important to alert our citizens. The Bowling Police Department is working closely with the Warren County Sheriff's Office, the Kentucky State Police, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security to determine the origin of the threat. A countywide notification will be sent to our mobile devices on Saturday morning. We will keep you updated as more information is available. 
Brother Patrick. Brother Patrick, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I'm. I hear you loud and clear. I'm glad to have you join the conversation. Uh, and I know that you know Sister Priscilla Sterling. Yes, I know Sister Priscilla. How you doing, Sister Priscilla? How you doing, Brother Patrick? <laughs> well, I'm well, dear. I'm good, good. Brother Patrick. Glad to, I'm, glad to ha- I'm glad you are part of this panel. Brother Patrick, when you hear uh, the comment by the police that I just played, that they were aware of threats to the uh, the protests outside Karen, Carolyn Bryant's home, that similar that reminds me of what went on in Buffalo. Now there was no incident in Bowling Green, but it reminds me of Buffalo because. The incident that happened in Buffalo, when they look back, they seen that the guy that did this was online with about 25 to 30 other people, other white supremacists, before he live streamed what he did in that supermarket. And among those people that was online with him was retired agents, or at least one retired agent. Now, that information was released when that happened, and you didn't hear any more about it from black representatives who were really supposed to be getting to the bottom of this. So when you hear, whenever I hear threats being issued uh, to, to black groups protesting, and all of our people always protest peacefully, if something happens, we don't instigate it. It's always somebody from the outside. So when you hear this type of thing, Brother Patrick, what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? What, give, me, give me your thoughts as a man that, that is out here all the time. And I know that you down there in Mississippi in the belly of the beast, so you're getting threats all the time. H- how are we dealing with this? How do you deal with it as a man that's out there being an activist? Well, <clears throat> thank you, uh, Brother Elliot, because that's a great question. And it's something that needs to be addressed uh, from a serious standpoint. Now, what what we're doing, because what we are constantly constantly seeing is the emergence of the fortification of white supremacy, uh, refortifying itself over and over um, in these situations. These are not really isolated occurrences. These are continual occurrences that have been happening, and we can put Emmett Till at a, as a starting point, but even Emmett Till is not a starting point. You know, we, but we're going to use Emmett Till as a starting point. So what's happening, you you, you got a, a trail of mischief that gets longer and stronger in the protection of, you know, Carolyn Bryant Dunham in regards to Emmett Till. Uh, what so-called modern-day black organizations and black sympathizers who see this as a cause we should not continue to fight, uh, like the NAACP, they need to know and realize that this is an issue of white humanity being politicized and socialized into the fabric of uh, the, the white humanity being politicized and socialized into the fabric of white America more valuably 
than black humanity. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it's a very intimidating thing that's taking place. And it's a it's an issue of power and control. And what the response in the black community should be, from my perspective, as you say, as one who stand out on the front line of the protest and uh, the pain, the emotion that we continue to suffer, the traumatization that we continue to suffer, we have to get to a point where we practice what we're calling extreme legal. Um, I'm one who represents the El Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, and I'm also one who stands on the forefront, forefront of civic black development. Because at some point, we're going to have to create sanctuaries where we can live in peace. Those sanctuaries are not going to be provided to us by white supremacy social constructs. As uh, Sister Sterling said, she said that 45 counties out of 82, out of the 82 in Mississippi, have documented white supremacist uh, hate groups. I argue that. Now, that might be just what's documented. I would tell you for, for surety, all 82 counties have white supremacist hate groups because they have white supremacist homes. They operate on the tenant, tenant premise of white supremacy. That's why come you have Mississippi as a stronghold, and this is not to alleviate any other 49 states, but this is the one that we live in. So, you know, what I think about, Brother Elliot, is how do we respond? How do we respond? And Brother Richard asked a great question when he asked Sister Sterling. He asked her, he said, did the black people in Bowling Green understand the nature of what been, was, was going to take place with the protest? He was asking that because I'm thinking Brother Richard was thinking black people in Bowling Green should be participating. Well, I say this to that. 67 years is how long it's been since Emmett Till uh, lynching. That's three generations. And what I found from being out here on the forefront with Sister Sterling and the family and Emmett Till Legacy Foundation and, his, and, and her organization is that our, this generation has a very vague understanding, almost no memory of Emmett Till. You ask young teenagers today, do they know Emmett Till? And they tell you no. I mean, seriously, they don't even know. So we have failure to corroborate our experience with this racist society. You know, you got white people that's very violent in the process of making sure that these things don't get passed down. We very different as a people, I'm talking about black people, in fighting to preserve our history and making our people understand, you know, our history. If the young people really understood the nature of what took place with Emmett Till, they will understand that this is a continuation of things that continue to happen even in their society. See, Trayvon Martin is their Emmett Till. See, and that's what I'm saying. They think this thing keeps starting from, from them. It's not. This is a continuation. So we have to fortify our race. And that's one thing that's happening with Mississippi on the move. 
uh, y'all mentioning the black politicians and the black legal people. Well, we got, you know, uh, Malik Shabazz out there. And we have sister, I think, uh, sister Sterling was referring to the representation of the, uh, the, uh, family out of Minnesota. I think Jerubu Hill is their legal representation, but we don't have yeah. enough legal people. We don't have enough legal people. They're strong in their resolve to attack this system, you know? And I think the issue that we're going to talk about later with the Deion Sanders, we're going to talk more about these capitulated black uh, 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 leadership and in places. Yes, Benny Thompson should be chiming out loud and clear just as much as he is with this whole January 6th episode. This that's is something right. that's happening in your home, Benny Thompson. This is a this is an atrocity that keeps happening in your home. But see, I'm going back to my premise statement that white humanity is more valuable than black humanity. That's the reason why Carolyn Bryant was not picked up the day the sheriff arrived at the home. Because he's seen two little white boys that she had to attend to. So there was no need to bother her. <laughs> and that sentiment is still prevalent, very much so in American society. So that's what we're dealing with right now. That's what we're dealing with. Listen, before we, because uh, I'm going to take a Richard, you want to jump in? I just want to, re- you know, you, you played the clip, and I'm, I was looking at the article, and to to emphasize what uh, Brother Alexander and, and, and Sister Serling is saying, the, the sheriff's office received a call from a concerned citizen who heard and recorded the threat early Saturday morning. Uh, I want the time for waking audience to really like to understand what, what you were saying, Brother um, Alexander and Sister Sterling, as far as what is in Mississippi now? We, you know, with all these air TV shows we watch, all these air movies we watch, all this Wakanda we looking at, and it goes, quote, if you help or support the Justice for Immortal rally in any way, we will identify using any and all means, and someday in the near future, we will come to your home and kill you. This is this 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 is something that is recorded. The sheriff's office received and is reported December fifth. That's what was said. These folks that telling white folks, I'm assuming, in any way. We will kill, come to your house and kill you. This is not no 1955, uh, you know, PBS series. This is mm-hmm. 2022. <laughs> I just wanted to emphasize that. 2022. Uh, b- b- before we. That's uh, why. That's why it's so important. It is so important for the focus now on these hate groups, these racist organizations that sit in these positions of leadership from the governors down, in, especially in Mississippi. 
and the Mississippi can move, and the, the only way we can move is we got to be boost on the ground, protest, and, and get this thing to change. They're going to have to work from the inside out. It's going to have to take education. Education can help shape minds, attitudes, behavior. But they got to be willing to accept that education. It's something so sinister here in the state of Mississippi when it comes to race. So it's not going to be easy because I believe that they would rather see us fight each other than to come together. So I say, and I do, I'm with law enforcement. I do. I believe in our government. I do. I know that there are crooked cops. There are crooked officials. But I stay in the United States of America, and I want to believe that the United States of America believe in me as a United States citizen. I have my constitutional rights, every one of us. So every one of us should be allowed to receive justice, just as our white counterparts. And that's what we want to have happen here in the state of Mississippi. That's the reason why we're trying to bring attention to the state of Mississippi, because Mississippi is the hub. Believe me, Mississippi is the hub of all the things that's spewing out into the world. I'm going to tell you why. The highest numbers of lynchings occur right here in the state of Mississippi. Guess what? It's still continuing today. Rasheen Carter, Jaheem, down on the coast, a 15-year-old that was shot eight times, no gun, hands up. We got things that are happening that's not coming out into the media outside of the state of Mississippi. Mississippi is purposefully setting up that the media do not correlate information to the masses. There's so many things happening. They're finding bodies in the rivers. They're not talking about it. They're not putting it out. When I did the case on Nick Naylor in 2005, Nick Naylor, no, actually it was January when Mamie Till funeral, 2003, Nick Naylor. He was hung 15 feet, 11 inches in the air with his hands inside the chain. There was a deer camp site, and deer camp were, cars were lined up passing his body while he was hanging in the tree. The same thing that happened to Nick Naylor just happened a couple of years ago to Willie Jones Jr. Do you hear me? So there are things happening here now that society, that the public is not aware of because the media, they purposefully don't display it. They don't want the public to know what they are doing to us. That's the reason why I'm calling out for other organizations to come in and help. I stay here in Mississippi. Patrick is here in Mississippi. Something needs to occur in Mississippi. Now, this is our call out to right now, Benny Thompson, other whites that are concerned that speaks on God. They need to be involved into this movement right here, and we need to start from the state of Mississippi. Before we uh, kind of make transition to the second portion of our program, and then and, and, uh, I, I want some of the listening audience, if they, I'll, I'll hold you over if you want to. Uh, kind of continue the conversation in open form when we have brother Patrick, uh, uh, is involved. But before we leave, uh, our portion with, uh, sister Sterling, I'm going to go to some of these calls to see if they want to, uh, give you some words of encouragement. If they want to say something to you 
as a member of the Till family. Let me say this about uh, the, the video clips that I saw that you were involved in in Bowling Green. Um, yourself, and it was other women that was there. And, you know, listen, maybe this is just me, but I, a, lot of, a lot of our men need to get more involved because I don't like the fact that our women are out here on the front line, especially when these threats are going forth about some type of harm. I, I just don't like the fact that the women are exposed like that. And maybe that's just me. But you know, and I understand that, but I just want you to know this. As a mother, once wife, auntie, cousin, or whatever, we as women especially here in the state of Mississippi, look to protect our men because they go through so much hell with the injustice and they're the first to be attacked. So we have to stand in front of them. Believe me, because I will. (laughs) Let me go and grab a couple of these calls and see if they want to kind of say something to you before we uh, uh, transition to the second portion of our program. Let's go to 215. 215. Good, good evening, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Good evening. I'm doing fine. Good evening, Brother Richard. Ms. Sterling and, and Brother Patrick, how, how are everybody doing tonight on this, uh, you know, Sunday night, I guess? How, how's everybody doing? We're All doing good. Appreciate I appreciate you too, Brother. All praises be to Allah. You know, Miss Sterling, my heart goes out to you, know, because I tell you, you know, I met the brother back in in 2002, I think it might have been, a year or so before before your relative, Miss Mamie Till, passed away. The brother that was doing a documentary on Emmett's life, I forgot the brother's name. You're talking uh, about Keith, Keith Beauchamp. Keith Beauchamp, yeah. The, the, thank you, thank you, Mr. Sterling. And I met him here in Philadelphia, and, and his story, when he talked about Emmett's death and the cruelty, what these white devils did to Emmett, it just, and my tears ran down my face and stuff. He, 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 he did it here at the... Um, Jazz uh, uh, place here in Philadelphia, the, uh, the Clef Club. It was sold out. It was so many people there, Miss Sterling and Brother Patrick. They couldn't get everybody in. It was a lot of people from the from WRD radio, the black only black radio station in Philadelphia. There was that put that on, and it was just you can you, you didn't see a dry eye in the place. I tell you, I never forget that. You know, Miss Sterling, you mentioned the Brother Elliot. I had told Brother Elliot and Brother Richie before. You mentioned James Eastland, the devil, and may he made that bastard rotten hell. You know, a lot of black folks don't realize this. And I, and I told this to Ellen Richard on many occasions. James Eastman, I forgot the other white said, I think he's from Georgia, and Strum Thurman. John Finnis. John Finnis. Who's over the, the NASA space station. Right, exactly. And and other devils from South Carolina, Strum Thurman. Guess what current president was friends it is. They, no, 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 nobody better than Joe Biden. They were friends of his. Matter of fact, all three of these white races. They refer to Joe Biden as their son. It's like a son to them. And see, a lot of black people are unaware of that history with, with Joe Biden and Eastland and that other one, Stenham, whatever his name is, and, and, and Strom Thurmond and stuff. That's why a lot of black people are in this that Joe Biden is a friend of black people. We all know about the crime bill and how it devastated black people, but black people need to know the history of Joe Biden's relationship with these three white races. They was his friends. Like I say, all refer to Joe Biden as like a, a son of them. And as you know, when Strom Thurmond, when his rotten behind died, it was Joe Biden that did the eulogy at his funeral. 
So, I mean, that shows you right there with Joe Biden, how he feels about black people, you know. But, again, we don't don't know. We don't have the right information. You start thinking somebody's in your corner when they are not. So, I mean, that's why you can't get the George Floyd bill passed. You can't get the uh, John Lewis bill passed. Because Joe Joe, Joe Biden ain't trying to get nothing done. All he's doing is playing lip service. And he got enough Negroes out there to to be his his mouthpiece and stuff. And and that's why it's hard when you look at the other picture, Miss Sterling and Brother Patrick. That's why it's so hard to get black leadership the, the, the fight for Emmett Till's, the justice for Emmett Till's legacy in his family, as well as other black people, because you got these Negroes that number buffers for Joe Biden. And like you mentioned, Benny Thompson. Not only should Benny Thompson should be, should be active, the other Negro down in Mississippi, Mike Epstein and stuff, that was the former, I think, agriculture secretary, all Mississippians. And I didn't know, Ms. Sterling, that, that, that Derek Johnson, head of CP, was a native of Mississippi. I mean, these Negroes should be, they should be in the forefront fighting for the Till family, but they are not because they are controlled. See, see we, see, we got to understand these Negroes are not, they're, all, they're not for black people. See, they are black in skin color, but they're not fighting for their people. They're, they're controlled by white powerful forces, whether it be white Jews, whether it be white Anglo-Saxons, whatever they are, these people are controlled. They, and we see, we're under the illusion that they're fighting for black people. They are not for black people, and we need to be clear on that. And that's why we got to call these people out, Ms. Sterling, and brother, and hold them accountable, because they, they don't give a damn about black people no more than Barack Obama did when, he was, when this side behind was in there for eight years. These people are not, not for our people, man. This is why people, why people stay in, in the condition we stay in, because these niggas are not fighting for black people. They, and then you get throw Al Sharpton and all the rest of them Negroes in there. The only true voices for our people today in America is people like Minister Farrakhan, you know, God rest his soul, Brother Dick Gregory when he was living, you know, other people like, and it's the thrillers out there. But the, but the Negroes I just mentioned, they're not fighting for our people, and that's why our people are going to continue to stand out the condition we're in until we start calling these niggas and expose them. And that nigga that just became the, 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 the head of the Congress uh, on the Democrat side, Hakeem Jeffries, another Negro controlled by the Jews, Ralph War not down in Georgia. Another one. They're not for our people, man. And we need to be clear on that. You know what I mean? And that's well, why I thank you, Mr. For, keep for keeping the heat on. And you, Brother Patrick, for keeping the heat on because we got to make sure our people know who is in our corner and who is not. You know, it's that simple. Yes, it's not sir. about... It's not about whether you like. See, too many people we can put up with a personality. Cause, oh, oh, he's a nice guy. I don't give a damn about him being a nice guy. What the hell is he doing for our people? His nice guy ain't helping them until family. It's not helping black people. Like you said, these white cops shoot our people down. You know, like the, like Brother Patrick said a few minutes ago. For a lot of our young black people who are uneducated, don't know no better. They uh, Trayvon Martin is, is, is the Emmett Till of this day and stuff. They don't know nothing about Emmett Till. And, and, and you see all this attack on on history and and, and and these white racist white people, whether they be in Mississippi or South Carolina, even up in Pennsylvania, they fighting tooth and nail to make sure that white children as well as black children don't know about Emmett Till. You know, it's gonna hurt my white child's feelings and stuff. I don't give a damn about your white child's feelings being hurt when when, that, when that Emmett Till suffered the most horrific death being being lynched and, and beat shot, beat head split open on. I could give a damn about your white child's feelings being hurt being hurt, you know what I mean? But it's the kind of foolishness that we got to deal with as black people. You got these handkerchief-head Negroes that sit right along with it. Instead of being out there vocal for their people, they sitting there going along to get along. And I close with this. Like, again, like you said, Benny Thompson, Mike Epstein, they should be ashamed of themselves. 
for like fight being the for, they should be in the forefront with y'all. You know what I mean? But what they do, but they get they can't do anything until the white slave master give them permission to do anything, and that's the bottom line. Thanks, brother Alex, for letting me express myself. Mister, you, you got my support, brother Patrick. You know I love y'all. I'm gonna be praying for y'all. We we gonna we, gonna, we gotta we gonna win this battle, but we gotta make sure that we take care of them buffers. That's, that that's the buffers between us and white supremacy. Get them handkerchief head black buffers out of the way. Then we can deal with this white devil once and for all, and get our people justice that the justice that we deserve. Thank you so much, brother Elliot. Put me on mute. All right. I'll keep you over for the other portion of the program. Okay. Thank you, sir. Mm. Uh, let me grab a couple more of these, Richard, before we, uh, just to see if they want to say uh, something to uh, Sister Serling before she goes. Let's go to 901 in Memphis. 901? Memphis, are you there? Let's put them back on hold. Let's go to Memphis again. Another caller from Memphis. Memphis. Hello. Yes. Hey, this is Brother J.R.C. Trail from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Brother Patrick uh, shared this information with me. I was jumping the call. I really was kind of waiting. I wanted to just uh, share some yeah. thoughts on the uh, Deion Sanders. Well, I, well uh, listen, situation. I'm going to so wait. Okay, I'm a hold, I'll hold you over. Yes, sir. Thank Brother you. Brother Yes, sir. Brother Elliot, here's Dr. Jeffrey Ryan, great friend of mine, and he came on the call to help, you know, uh, you okay. know with, the, with the conversation. Good. Good. Right. Uh, Sister Sterling, listen, I want to thank you for being with us. The door is always open to you to come on anytime you've got any information that you want to share with us to get the information yes, out. Uh, this platform is at your disposal. Thank you. I appreciate so you, it. You can give Thank us a call. You can give us a call. You can reach out to us through Sister Brooks anytime you need to say anything, any information, uh, yes, more sir. more protest, more gatherings. If you find out where that Carolyn Brandon ran to, what holds she done crawled in now, you can come to this program and let the information out. I surely will, and I appreciate you for having me. Thank you all. Talk to you Thank soon. You. And thank you I'll for being you in the struggle. Patrick. Okay. All right, sister. We're going to take a brief. Okay. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. You can get involved too by dialing two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. That's two one five four nine zero nine eight three two. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com.
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color. And that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country 
while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you better think again. You're out of your mind and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I am an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separate disposition is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issues, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. You are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. 
part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. I want to thank our guest that was with us in the first portion of the program, Sister Priscilla Sterling, member of the Emmett Till family, to give us an update on what happened in Bowling Green. Her family struggled uh, to get justice for Emmett Till and justice for all of us, to be honest. And uh, uh, hopefully I'll be looking for, forward to her coming back onto the program in future to uh, kind of give us updates and just express anything that she wants in reference to uh, uh, what they're doing and in, in, uh, in, uh, moving forward. Uh, we transition into the other portion of our program. Uh, always a, a excellent guests and uh, looking forward to uh, the program, this program to come back into rotation. <laughs> Activist organizer of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Lumumba, is staying with us in this portion of the program. Brother Patrick? Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. You know, brother, always glad. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. No, no, no. I was just saying I'm always glad and honored to be on the program. Appreciate the opportunity. Listen, Brother Patrick, you know, on social media this week, it's been a hot issue. And I wanted to reach out to you and, uh, you know, a lot of the brothers and sisters from that area because I know that uh, Deion Sanders being at Jackson made the folks in Jackson and at the university proud to have somebody of that stature come down there and be involved in the football program. Uh, it started, uh, recruits started to come. It was in flux of pride and, and, and uh, prestige at the school. Uh, they starting to get exposure. I think they want television more. I don't, I'm not sure because we didn't really see them up here. Uh, but um, what happened this week? Talk talk about it from the people's perspective. You're there in Jackson, and you're involved with the I – because mean, I remember when you had Coach Abasi on this program. So you – are involved with people that are involved in football and coaching down there. Talk about it from the grassroots perspective, how the people feel about what he did and what transpired. Yes, sir. No doubt. Uh, but, Elliot, but before I do that, I want to uh, make us aware that uh, I have some very powerful brothers that stand arm to arm, toe to toe, you know, with, Brother Lumumba and the Black Liberation Movement in our causation. We have on the phone with us tonight uh, my dear brother, the national commander of the El Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, Brother Nick Bezel is on right now. Uh, is, we also have... Is uh, Nick from... Dr. Nick is in Austin? Nick is in Houston, Texas right now, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I, so think, this, on the call right I, I think this is Brother Nick. Yeah. Yes, sir. Can you hear, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Speaking black power. Yeah, yeah, brother. Elliot, I was on your show, I believe, last year. Yeah. is in Austin, Texas. Glad to have you back. Uh, running a mission right here in Houston, Texas. But it's a pleasure always doing the show, brother. Glad to have you back with us, sir. Yes, sir. And we also have uh, Dr. Jeffrey Ryan Futrell, powerful brother of mine, uh, comrade and associate 
uh, out of Tennessee, but he's a Mississippian as well. Uh, he runs Young Men University in Memphis, where he actively get involved with our brothers in the street track and uh, change their life so for the better. His, his brother is very important in our cause agent. I know we was talking extensively on this Deion Sanders situation today, and I told him that I'd be on the call with my brother Elliot and brother Richard tonight, and I wanted him to be a part of that conversation as well, along with some other brothers uh, that flank this, this organization here in Mississippi, uh, brother Malik Haynes, brother Jahi Ashe, brother Chase Daniels, I mean Ch- Chase Mackens, I'm sorry, and uh, a few others that's on the call. Okay. But, um, yes, sir. But speaking uh, to the Deion Sanders situation, uh, Brother Elliot, and the sentiment that you just presented to us, I remember hearing when Deion Sanders was taking the job at Jackson, and I remember the uh, euphoric feeling I felt uh, in that in 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 him taking the job, and uh, because you know one that's standing on the front line of, of black liberation and knowing, you know, extensively what that actually entails. You know, consciousness to me is past the levels of ascertaining ascertaining knowledge and information. It's a process of doing now. You know, and at some point black people have to define uh territory and create sanctuary cities and places that we are gonna continue to uh, build on our own humanity and quality of life. Mississippi is prime for that. So when I heard about Deion Sanders' desire to come to Jackson State, that uh, it said it said well with me. You know, it said very well with me because I felt, in the grand scheme of things, this is going to bolster uh, the position of black people. And and what Deion Sanders, what people need to understand is that Deion moved to Jackson State was an unprecedented. It was unprecedented. In, in that it was the first time that I could think of that a black celebrity figure uh, announced that they would they were willing to invest intentionally to do something to disrupt the white supremacist power structure. See, I don't know if people really, in retrospect, understand. Deion Sanders announced that God called him to Jackson State and that he was there, he was coming to level the playing field. See, to a, a man of moral consciousness like myself, that's saying something right there. They're saying something very powerful. Not only that, you said that you want to make the opportunity for young black men to experience and know that they can play black college football and uh, and, and, and have a very, uh, uh, just as a fulfilling um career or whatever as they did with a PWI. This was this was monumental. This was monumental. And you also said that it was not about the money. So that's the retrospective background, you know, to what it was that Deion Sanders had announced. And what what and the reason why I'm laying this foundation is that I want people to understand. And it's been happening, but I need people to understand what I'm calling black celebrity treason on black people. Deion Sanders committed black celebrity treason. And it's always committed. But in this situation, 
it's kind of it's kind of dear to me because it happened right here, and our uh, urgency to protect these celebrities when they have exploited the black community uh, as Deion Sanders has, in my opinion. And I don't think people, uh, not my opinion, my assessment, uh, I don't think people have truly, truly understand the nature of how debilitating what just happened with Deion Sanders exiting black college football, black people, the way that he did. I don't think we really understand the ramifications of that. So, you know, that's my premise statement about what it is. We experiencing with Dion Black celebrity treason, and I guess we can go into the details of how this cripples um, black institutions, not only that, black communities, and what could have been, you know, if Dion Sanders had a stuck to a moral standpoint like we felt when he came, you know. Um, and that's my premise on, on this whole thing. Uh, sparing a lot of details. Uh, let me let me get uh, some of the other brothers' uh, opinion on it. Let me let me go to Brother Jeffrey, uh, Brother Fritchell. Yes, sir. Hey, brothers. Uh, well, my I share the sentiment of my my brother Patrick. Uh, for me, as a warrior on the front line, there are a lot of things I could be doing. But when you infuse the Creator having been your guiding source to do it, and then you pull out. Well, it's devastating. It is treason. Treason is punishable by death, and we are in war. That brother, I, I, I would have hoped he would have stayed. I, I always admired his athletic ability, marketing ability, just as an athlete. I don't know him, but the devastation that's caused will just permeate, I believe, black sports teams. Uh, the communities as well. I, I just don't think you get a pass for that. I come from a little different world. You always have to pay. Well, there's no um, a debt's a debt. And I think he had a debt, and he left a hole. You know, I've uh, I have a PhD and moved on to some other things, but I spent 11 years in prison. How dare I not go back and help? To not go back would be treason. I got gang affiliation. How dare, after God redeemed me, I not go back into the fields, into the streets, and the battles, and try to bring change? How dare I find something else to do? They don't print that kind of money, brother. And I just really thought he was there. I'm not disappointing him because he's human, so I didn't hang a hat on him like he was a deity. But I thought he understood a little better than perhaps some of the others. And for him to pull off, and that, that was devastating to me. I'm 55 years old, and that was devastating. You know, if it was just money, $5 million, you had money. God had already blessed you with stuff like that. And if that's what the salary that he wanted, I'm sure amongst the collective, that could have been something that had happened considering what his track record was and things that he was doing. So I'm like, okay, I saw this as one thing. This was a step and strategy of the enemy to draw him away because he was drawing black athletes and black families back to college in the black community, the HBCU. He was doing that. He had the ability to do that. So when you left, man, you left a gaping hole. It's like agencies coming to our black communities. They 
they pick our best and they bring some money and they provide some jobs and some services. But when they extract the money, they never build any business. And that's my conversation here in Memphis, Tennessee. We're 63% black, yet we control very little, if any, of the economics and commerce. And the agencies come in, white outside agencies come in and provide services. They, they get our young guys and they, 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 they pay them. But when they leave, that's it. Well, that's what it is to be on. When he left, that's it. And that doesn't mean it can't continue on. And he was just one man I, I could see to all of that. But his very presence and what he was doing, had he continued others, perhaps, we would have been on a more unified uh, scale in terms of rebuilding. And I think we're, we're just missing that, brother. Our biggest problem is just the unity piece. We are strong only together. And I'm strong apart. And so when he pulled the plug, that's what he did to me. And I think he heard a lot of young folks. And that was my biggest concern. A lot of young guys, when they look to you, then you're going to turn their way. It's like me, be like me going out selling dope. Young guys look to me. They call me Baba. And then they see me out doing the stupid stuff. It's going to hurt them. Even if they don't say anything, it causes the damage. And I, I think, brother, and I thank you for letting me share that. I appreciate it. I'm going to shut up and listen. But thank you for letting me share Brother Nick, um, you you're down, uh, you you're on the ground all the time, and you're here. <clears throat> you're in the black belt. You're in Jackson. W- what is your perspective on this, and what are you hearing from the some of the young people? Well, you know, I hear a lot of different things, and people have a lot of different takes. Um, you know, in support and against uh, this move by by Deion Sanders. But I'm gonna just, you know, I'm not gonna go into great detail. But I do want to point out what I think are, are very, two very important and telling things. The first thing is, if we remember a few weeks back, um, Coach Robinson, I believe it was, um, at his press conference, you know, he was speaking on, on Deion Sanders where he said Deion tried to pull him in for the, for the bro hug, and he, you know, kind of, you know, snatched his arm and backed away from him, and that was the kind of, you know, not a scuffle but a little altercation that that those two uh, individuals had, Coach Robinson and Coach Coach Sanders. Um, what Coach Robinson said in this press conference, he said, Deion Sanders isn't swag. He said, I'm not, he's not swag. And he started, you know, and Coach Robinson went to name, um, you know, coaches in the past who helped create the legacy um, of HBCU football. Deion comes back, um, and he says, well, if I'm not swack, who is? Well, clearly, you aren't swack because you used uh, Jackson State as a stepping stone um, to get to where you wanted to be because clearly you were looking to jump into coaching. You know, from high school, I know he was coaching in Dallas, his son's team, private school, which was a smaller school. You know, it wasn't a, a, a you know, a 5A or 6A school here in the state of Texas, one of the big powerhouses was a smaller school. So he didn't have a coaching resume. So, of course, he couldn't go into a Power 5 college. So it looked like now, you know, hindsight being 2020, but some people saw it coming because of who he was, that he used uh, the HBCUs, he used Black, he used Jackson State to eventually go on um, to coach at a Power 5 school. And it, it would appear that along the way, he tugged at the heartstrings of black America um, to do so. That's, that's point one. 
point two is we have to remember who Deion Sanders is. We have to look at Deion Sanders for who he has been over the course of 30-plus years. Um, from the time he was in college, you know, all the glamour and glitz that comes around with him, rap videos, rap songs, you know, me codes, so on and so forth. So what would make people believe that Jackson State and HBCUs would be the end-all, be-all be all for someone who calls themselves primetime? We have to look at his, his character overall and understand, um, so, you know, just who we're dealing with. So when he announced he was going to Colorado, I wasn't shocked. I might have been disappointed, but looking at his character over 30 plus years, I wasn't shocked. And that's what I'll say about that. Uh, Brother Patrick, the, um, you, 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 uh, cause I didn't know whether you ever went to any of the Jackson games cause I know that you was heavily involved in football. Um, did you go to any of the Jackson State games prior to Dion coming there? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very familiar with the uh, type of atmosphere that was uh, prior to Dion. Well, let, let, but, know, but, uh, but let me say this because it, it, it kind of premised the question. You, you were going to the games prior to Dion coming, and you were going to the games after Dion was there and the people exposed. Now, let me ask you something. How many people, whether it's hundreds or thousands of people, were at the games before Dion, and how many were there during him being uh, coach? Oh, it's, it's night and day. Uh, it's night and day. Uh, prior to Dion, you know, you had uh, maybe the low double-digit thousand that would attend Jackson State games. So, uh, the in-state rivalry being Alcorn State University, which the game that I attended, you know, uh, made sure that I attended every year. Being being at Alcorn State University, my favorite college of all time. Um, that that was a, a a natural big crowd. I mean, that crowd was big. It was it was it was it would rival the Southern Harris Classic, which is uh, what used to take place in Memphis between Tennessee State and Jackson State. But that crowd would rival that in the in-state rivalry of uh, Alcorn State and Jackson State. But uh, no other game would come close to that. You know, Jackson State would have, you know, like I said, maybe low-digit, uh, low-double-digit thousand. So you get... What, like 10, 10, 10, 10 11,000 people? Yeah, about 10, 11,000, 12,000 people. Now, how many people after was the there? Of the- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Go ahead, go ahead, brother. I was going to just say, how many people were coming to the games after Dion? Okay, you get a, you get an exponential growth. You know, you're getting forty thousand. <clears throat> Some crowds have eclipsed sixty thousand. You know, and these people are coming because the cameras are there. You know, Dion is there. You know, and and I and I like to interject some things. You know, concerning the Dion, what I call because I was trying to develop uh, an actual talk across the state, and we were going to call it the Dion Sanders Effect. Like I'm saying, uh, Brother Elliot, you know, I'm really invested 
in the creating of strong black uh, townships, black enclaves, uh, cities, you know, and with Jackson being the capital city, there's pretty much black government with the emergence of Deion Sanders and what he brought to the socioeconomic situation. See, we're not even measuring it on that level. When I listen to the backlash and, you know, and all the people that's talking, we're not measuring, you know, the economic impact. How many businesses started up just because more people coming into town and they seen an opportunity? Well, see, that, that's, what, that's why I was asking you that. Because if you had on yeah. average of 10, 11,000 people coming prior to him becoming coach and they averaging 40 yeah. to 50,000 after he was there, it's bigger than him being a coach. He had an economic impact in that town and maybe towns surrounding that. That's right. Okay. That's exactly right. That's the, that's the point. That's the point. And okay. see, that's why this conversation deserves more time. And people are like, well, why are you rather, uh, carrying on and on? That man that went on with his life. Yeah, but he left a lot of people's lives in shambles. And see, the, uh, the unappreciation for the quality of black life is not being mentioned. See, society has gotten to a point, uh, Brother Elliot, that, you know, it, well, it always has been at this point in America. You know, we deem to be the permanent underclass. So we're supposed to absorb the pain, absorb the emotional trauma, and not say nothing, not be, not not have that trauma uh, recognized, politicized, or even spoken for. You know, it, so to speak, we're supposed to get hit over the head with a hammer and get criticized for hollering and responding. So this is a very detrimental blow uh, that has been dealt. And, I, and I'm not one to harp on these celebrities. You know, I try to steer away from these celebrities. I hate celebrity worshiping. But when it when I see how critically it affects us in this dynamic, see, in this very dynamic, that's why I'm on this. And I want more time to be spent talking about this type of treason because not only that, you know, we're dealing with uh, Dr. Futrell, uh, Brother Nick. We're dealing with the treason on Mystic on the Move. This treason is taking place in our city halls. This type of treason is also taking place in our pulpit. So when people coming at me on social media and they saying, well, Dion ain't no politician. Dion ain't no preacher. You're exactly right. He's not. He's a football coach. That can't. So what is a football coach? Is uh, Nick Saban just a football coach? Or is he a powerfully influential man? In Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I haven't been there. In Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Nick Saban is the president. He ain't just a football coach. He's the major influencer. If Nick Saban said, so be it. Abel Sweeney. The list go on and on and on. So Dion Sanders had carved into the black community um, uh, uh, the idea, into the black community mind, the idea of whether we understood it on this level or not. A whole social paradigm shift. And I think the tenants of white supremacy understood that. And I and I, and I want to think that Deion Sanders had a moral conviction and God called him to Jackson State. But like I ask people, all, you know, like I'm asking people, so who called him to Colorado? <laughs> because it may not even be an issue of Deion Sanders leaving. He could have been pride away. 
are pulled away. This man was shaking the foundations with his presence. He's not a messiah. Black, the black community don't need a messiah. Black football don't need a messiah. I'm sorry. Black football needed attention. Black football needed some cameras on it. That's what he needed. You understand? It's by no means is a messiah, but he's a very integral uh, part of shifting that paradigm. And I think Brother Dr. Umar did a great job on uh, the Breakfast Club. And I think people should go and look at that that, that interview he did with the Breakfast Club because he made a great point. And pointing out, no, you know, he's not a Messiah. But Frederick Douglass, what was he to the abolitionist movement? If he had a pulled out, what would the abolitionist movement have been? Harriet Tubman to the Underground Railroad. It probably would have went on. But if Harriet pulled out, what would it have been? Same thing with Martin Luther King, civil rights movement. It could have still been. But if Martin Luther King pulled out, what would it have been? We're talking about investing back into your community. And now we got this whole money over morals type mentality. We got to get the bag. But goddamn it, Deion Sanders had money before he came. He the one said it went about the money. Now it's about the money. <laughs> you know? So this, this conversation deserves a lot of time because I ain't sure that Jackson State ain't in a worse condition now. You got players that committed, decommitted. The man is taking, uh, uh, Deion Sanders is taking. Uh, he just took Mississippi Valley State head coach. And see, if we keep looking at it from an individual, uh, a rugged individualist uh, perspective, we would say, well, that one black man over at Valley State head coach is now assisting out there in Colorado with with uh, with Dion. Well, goddamn, you just took the head coach at Valley who was turning the tide there. But this thing can be done because the majority of our people have become these celebrity worshipers, and we don't understand money. We don't understand morals, you know. So, you know, this is a serious problem, and it's a cancer in our community. So, you know, there we at. That's where we at, you know, with this thing. Let me let me, uh, let me me go to a couple of these calls that's been waiting for a while. Let's first go to uh, 617 in Boston. 617? Yes, sir. Brother Sadiki, the new leadership circle here. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. And look, let, let me just say, I'm, I'm a proud black college graduate. Uh, West Virginia State College, West Virginia State College University. Now, let me just say this. I do not understand the criticism of Deion Sanders. Uh, let me just say this, that the bottom line is, Okay, he's there for three years. He left. I don't feel like he abandoned black colleges and SWAC. But look here. He went there. Uh, he took half of his salary to help upgrade the facility, the football uh, facility. Uh, not to mention the fact, like the brother said, in terms of the economic uh, aspect and how that was enhanced in the Jackson area. Uh, our understanding is that the administration there uh, benefited economically from his presence. Now, in his contract, I heard you talking about attendance. In his contract, there was a stipulation that any any crowd above 23,000 at their home games, he was to get a percentage. He didn't get that money. 
All right? Now, let's look in terms of the, the effect that he has had. First of all, if you look at the video, he was like a father figure for those young men that played for him. And you noticed his children, they adore him. But the piece that's most bothersome is rather than criticizing Dion, well, first of all, let me just say this. If he's a white man who was making 300000 and took a contract for five mil, we say, oh, well that's, well, that's how the game is played. The bottom line is that, see, the pressure now is on SWAC because the prime time has taken it to another level. He has said, look, don't accept the status quo like you are less than these big-time colleges. Like, he talked about the whole thing about the paycheck. And you know how, like, a major college, a Pac-5, will have a black college come and give them a check. They know it's a check. And he said, don't be accepting a half million dollars. He says, you tell them a million or more, or else you're not going to do it. And so what I'm saying is that he has taken the stature of SWAC and black college black colleges in general, to a whole nother level. So, see, the pressure is on now because of he has shown what we're capable of. And so the folks who are there now, the pressure is on them to say, well, we've got to upgrade the quality of what we're doing based on the status that they are. Look here. There's a major uh, television network that wanted to give Jackson a contract. And the administration turned it down. And so what I'm saying is that we should be trying to take advantage of what he has established there and not fall back to where we were before because it's like, you know, look here, a lot of young black men now, yeah, we understand about the transfer portal and what happened that uh, some of the players, a few of them will, will go from Jackson State. There are youngsters now all across the country and I'm talking about our, our youth, black youth, who are now looking at black colleges because of prime time and what he established there, who weren't looking at black colleges at all. So, well, you know, it's, well, let, frust- it's frustrating for me. Well, let it's me say, me. Let, let me throw this in, Brother Siddiqui, because I, I don't think, this is just me personally, I don't think when we're talking about black people now that, it always should be about money. Uh-huh. Uh, the, these European values where it's always about the dollars and I'm going to get mine and self-preservation, the first law of nature. That's his first law of nature. It wasn't ours. So it should never always be about money when we're talking about black people. Now, Dion is not. Dion is not like me and you, and, and we taking a job here and there. This man had made tens of millions of dollars playing football. He made tens of millions of dollars. He made at least double-digit double millions of dollars playing baseball because he went to another sport. And then he's also made millions as an announcer, getting on there, you know, what he did on television. So when he decided to come to a black school uh-huh. to quote unquote give back, the people thought that's what what it was about. 
Now, listen, I ain't got no problem with nobody if they're up front. And that's another thing that we got to, if we know about our culture, then we'll start adopting values that come from our ancestors and not values that we have obtained from white folks. Because if he was honest in the beginning, I wouldn't have no problem with him coming to Jackson. And this is just me. I wouldn't have no problem with him going to Jackson or to Alcorn State or wherever he would chose to go. If he said, listen, uh, I want to someday get to the pros and coach. So maybe if I can come here for a couple of years and get established, uh, maybe this will help me. But he didn't say that. He had those people believing that he was coming there to really uh, – uh, uh, and it's not like Jackson was in the toilet. He might have added more stature, but it wasn't like they was in the toilet. You had a Hall of Famers. Walter Payton came from Jackson, and I think it was others that came from Jackson that was all pros or Hall of Famers in the pros. So it wasn't like he was going to a school that uh, didn't have nothing. He was going there to suppose Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Let me just say this, that first of all, I knew he wasn't going to say that. I knew that. But he said from the very beginning, he was asked if you, down the line, if you were offered a major college contract, would you, in fact, take it? He says, I would consider it. He said that from the very beginning. So what I'm well, saying, I don't recall is, that. But, this okay. is not about white folks and white money. What oh, I'm yes, it is. right now is that oh, yes, it is. colleges, and, and, and when you talk about Walter Payton and all of them, when they all came to the league, you know, all the black players – they came to the white universities when so-called integration happened. What I'm saying is I'm not looking to dollar. Um, we're not going to talk about the fact, like I said, he gave up half his salary. He also helped out Alcon State. I heard the brother talk about he's a proud grad. He helped them out. But I'm saying and upgraded the uh, economic stature of the entire area. What I'm saying is that this is an opportunity for our black colleges to move to another level and not fall back to where we were. And I'm not talking about just a dollar. I'm saying right now he has enhanced the image of black colleges all across the country. Our youngsters are now talking about going to black colleges based on not the amount of money that he, that uh, we're talking about. It's about the fact that, you know, look, there was a youngster, who was the, I know, I think his name was Hunter, last name. He was the number one recruit in the country, and he ended up going to Jackson State. He could have gone anywhere. I suppose he was supposed to go to FAMU. So anyhow. Where you think he's going now? He might be going there. But but what I'm saying. No, I'm saying, all, where, you, where you think he's going now? They, they, asked, they asked him what was the final point that led him to come to Jackson State. He says, when my mom and my daddy and I, we came to homecoming. And so what I'm saying now is that this is an opportunity. I'm saying the pressure is on SWAC and all of our black college conferences in terms of what our capabilities are as it pertains to potential. And I'm saying we need to, why would you turn on a national TV contract that was put on the table in front of you? So I'm saying take advantage of what this brother has established, whether you like the fact that he's leaving or whatever. That's not a factor for me. I'm looking at what he's done. Black people are proud of our institutions now based on the exposure that they've gotten. And I'm saying that if we go back to where we... <laughs> you saw what happened with Florida A&M? You heard about what happened with Florida A&M. 
Well, a bunch of when they were supposed to go play, I think it was UCLA. I don't know. Twenty-six of them were ruled ineligible because of incompetency from an administrative perspective, so they couldn't play. They couldn't be on the team. Also, the ban at FAMU said, you know what? We get treated worse than the football team. They said we were on buses going to a away game, cheerleaders and football players together changing together on the buses, and they had to eat box lunches on the ground outside of some restaurant. So what I'm saying is that if we do the prime time factor, don't accept the low ground that he talked about, I'm just saying we need to take the – Take this to a whole nother level. Saying, yeah, I understand what you're saying, brother Siddiqui. But we're capable of this. I understand let's, what let's you're not saying. Let's not worry about where he's gone. Let's look at what he has done and establish. Uh, we well, that's what, we, that's what we're talking that's about. What I'm saying, that's and about just the dollars. That's what we're ta- saying. That black but, colleges, in terms of our stature, is at the highest level that I've seen. And I, I graduated from a black college many years ago. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I'm. That's I'm what we're talking about, brother. What Siddiqui. he has established there and yeah. what the potential is. Okay, well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what he has done, and it has clearly been about the money. But that—that's that, thank you for your contribution. Okay, Ellie, I understand. Let me just say this: like you said, he's already rich. He wants to coach. If it was about the money, he—I think his salary was three hundred thousand. He took half of that to enhance the facilities at Jackson State. Gave money to Alcorn. So what I'm saying to you, sure, there's an economic factor, but it's not like he needed the money. It's about what he has done. If he was about just the money, he would have said, well, wait a minute now. Before I come to Jackson, you got to improve the facilities there. Where's the money? He didn't do that. He took 150 grand of his own money to upgrade the facilities and helped out some of the youngsters that didn't have what they needed when they were there. So I'm, I'm just, for me, it's like... If we don't see this as an opportunity so that our youngsters won't be eating box lunches on the ground, <laughs> heading to an away game. Yeah, well, listen, the if, they, if, they, if, they, if they're eating box lunches on the ground at Florida A&M, they ain't eating box lunches on the ground at that damn Florida State or, 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 or University of Florida. Them white kids ain't eating no damn lunches on the ground, and they get money from the state. So it ain't all about the black people failing those schools. It's no, not. No, it's not about failing. It's about aspirations. Are you satisfied with the quality, the level that you are at right now? Are you looking to take another? Are you going to turn down a national TV contract that would bring in thousands of dollars? You keep saying Why that, but I don't. Do I don't know whether that was that's true. One data point. That's one data point. That is, brother Siddiqui. That's one data point, and you made two um, that I've heard. And this is somebody who don't watch sports, never watch sports is not interested in entertainment as the center of our economic or moral development. But the reality is that obviously um, for with so many people, black people that in this era um, it is. And that, that is what's to me, that's the challenge that when entertainment and athletic being placed within the entertainment realm, has such a powerful social economic effect that we have to even have this discussion about one man and the and and being able either to be able to show the inconsistencies within our institutions or being able to show 
that it, it, it's, it's this one personality that can provide the social economic dynamics, not the, not the athletic, because from what I heard, um, brother, bro, brother raised is the number of people and the, and the infrastructure as far as economic development that was going on because of this one man that, 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 that has nothing to do with that man other than about us. The, us who, who are, have been engaged in this activity, who has magnified that sports provide this kind of enthusiasm for young and old. That's the challenge for black people. Not necessarily that our infrastructure is and our management practices are bad, but that it would take this to provide the kind of dynamics in one area. And that we have to, we, we even in our discussion, that it gets down to talking about the man compared to why is it that it took one person uh-huh. to create that kind of dynamics. And it made me think, and I'll stop, that Jackie Rob it's the same thing with Jackie Robinson with baseball. It took one man to to decimate a whole economic infrastructure that black people had. Yep, I, I that's right, brother. Yeah, yes, go ahead, jump in, brother. Okay, and and that's a great point. I think that was brother Richard made that point just then about Jackie Robinson. Was that brother Richard? Yes. Okay, that's a great point because when Jackie Robinson got called up. The Negro Baseball League got called out. Yes. Okay? So what we need to understand in that, that one-man dynamic, it's an orchestration of white supremacy. Jackie Robinson wasn't the best Negro League baseball player. I got a cousin named Josh, Josh Gibson that played with the Birmingham Bears was better than Jackie Robinson. Okay? But it was an orchestrated move. Just like what we're dealing with right now <laughs> is an orchestrated move. Whether we want to believe it or not. And I tell that brother, 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 there's uh, no comparison. There's no comparison, brother. Jackie Robinson, that white boy that owned the Dodgers, saw the economic viability of the Negro Leagues. He didn't care about Jackie Robinson. Well, wait a minute. To get you, them black dollars. But, but, so so wait a no minute, brother Sajiki. Okay, brother Sajiki, you think that Colorado cares about Deion Sanders? What are you saying? You think that Colorado cares about Deion Sanders, or they see the economic viability of having him there? No, 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 I'm not saying, I say, like I said before, if this was a white man, we wouldn't have No, 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 do you think Colorado cares about Deion Sanders? This is not, I don't care about Colorado. See, he he does, that's where he went. See, I feel strongly about black colleges. Yeah, but wait a minute, you feel, evidently he don't feel strongly about black colleges. He went to Colorado. Do you think Colorado cares about Deion Sanders, or they see the economic viability? No, no, no. no, no that, I, I know what that's about. I'm talking about. No, no, no. That's what Richard just saying, said let's, when let's he used. Talk about wait, wait uh, talk hold about it, where brother Siddiqui. Right brother Siddiqui, hold it. You listen to me. When brother Richard gave the parable of Jackie Robinson, and you heard the uh, uh, brother Patrick agree with it. And then you turn around and say, no, no, it, 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 it wasn't about that. It's clear that it was about that. No, no, I, I say there's no, there's no comparison. Okay. Jackie well, Robinson was used okay. by that okay. guy, Ricky, Branch, the Ricky, the owner right. of the Dodgers, about the money that the, and so we fell once again for the 
integration trick. We never should have folded the Negro League. Well, what we're I'm saying talking is, about no the social economic aspect, regardless of the side, the integration we're talking trick. about the social economic impact. Only only thing difference is if you're saying a white man did it at that period in time and a black man did it at this period in time. But if we look at the social econ and it's only potential, all these other things y'all saying is true. Because if what Brother Patrick said is true, that the the social economic impact of this man being there evolved. Evolved. It didn't devolve. It didn't stay the same. It evolved. And well, just well, by, and the question is up in the air is whether it will continue, which is the point that you're making, whether it will continue to evolve or yeah. will it devolve. That's the point. But the reality yeah. is it's the same. The only difference is that a white man called in in that period of time and a black man did it at that. And the only thing that we're, I think, that's being questioned and I like what um, Brother Patrick said: money over the money over mor- morals, or you know, is that if this person would have had, with all that he has, would have had the moral principle, recognizing what his as one person, because the cameras obviously wasn't there before, the cameras didn't provide no contract before. Even, right. even even with the administration ineffectiveness, the camp. You know why? Because it ain't about him. That's what I'm hearing. It's about the white system saying we wasn't gonna give them niggas that opportunity unless somebody that we recognize. Where on the other side, using the metaphor, the historical reference of Jackie, white folks said we gonna we got to take away what them niggas got by taking one person in the historical moment of that time and playing him up, which it wasn't about him. It wasn't about the game. It was about the social economic infrastructure that was being developed. Hotels, restaurants, stadiums, transportation infrastructure around those black men playing that game getting black audiences and then playing so well that white audiences were starting to trickle to see. This is it what th- this is what's being in a question at this point. And the only difference is did, if he knew that he had that kind of impact or he seen with all the other inconsistencies being there that he was about not just about winning a game, or just about being able to make players viable, but that he was bringing a the development of a social economic infrastructure to a place, and could have been raised all these other contradictions. If he knew that by by principle, he could have been able to say, "Well, I got to hold on." All these other things being true. I didn't get the 23000 After 23000 I didn't get um, the, the administration said no. But we are showing other things. And not just him, people around him. That, I, I apologize. I just... No doubt. Brothers let, no let, doubt, Brother Richard. Let, 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 let me move forward, Brothers Dick. Can I add Leo? Brother Sadiqi, let me wait, b- before yeah, you do yeah, it, Mr. Patrick. Let, let me, let me, Brother Sadiqi. Thanks for your contribution. Go ahead. And call, call again, sir. 
No, no, no doubt, no doubt. Talk we, to you. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about this one, but other things, you know. But but I just think I think we're missing the boat on this one. I'll close with that. Okay, I'm, talk I'm, to you. You know, I appreciate. I didn't expect him to stay there, and I'm. I appreciate what he has established. Now the the real issue is. What are we going to do now that he's gone? Are we going to build on that or just go back to where we were? So we gonna talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you. Yes, sir. Brother Patrick, good. Uh, yeah, I, I wish the brother could have stayed on the phone, but it's fine. Uh, because I got a thousand thoughts going through my head right now. And uh, brother, brother Richard is igniting that uh, fire. But... For, for one thing, some of the things that the brother said uh, concerning the issues at Jackson State, the institutional uh, deficiencies of, at Jackson State, these are not corroborated facts. I, I will say that. But they are things that we need to help substantiate how we feel about uh, rugged individualism and money hoarding over what I call the CBP, Collective Black Progress. We 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 see more as a people, individual success than we do in investing in the collective success. What Dion was on the verge of doing was shifting a whole social social economic paradigm. That's what he was on the verge of doing. The man actually was building his own kingdom that he traded in to be a high paid slave in somebody else's. Okay, so. A lot of the fallacies that are taking place in the aftermath of this need to be talked about. Now, you got black college football that have for years, even through its own handicap, have offered up to white supremacist uh, 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 businesses like the NFL, the likes of Walter Payton, the likes of Jerry Rice. You know, and these people barely giving back to these uh, communities. I just, I just um, uh, was confirming a story about Jerry Rice. I almost lost his, his, his name just then. But Jerry Rice, you know, he gave maybe two or $300,000 to, to, um, to, to Mississippi Valley State. Let me ask a question. What is two or $300,000 that allegedly was misappropriated to a school system, a system that's already financially deficient. We're going to micromanage that little bitty amount of money to, 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 to uh, cast a dark light on HBCU so that we don't have to do that again, so that he don't have to never invest in his own school that created him, that, 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 that gave him the platform to become the, the, maybe the best receiver of all time. And then, then to go on to marry white women and give all his fortune away to white people. This is how we create, commit treason against our own community. Because we're not understanding morally what's taking place. We have no uh, sensitivity toward our own issues. And I'm seeing people in the content community feeling the same way. They feel the same way. I'm having to deal with them on this issue. And I got to watch that because as we continue to build, we got to watch the people that's around us, me and Brother Nick, we, we, and, 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 the, and the other brothers that's on this phone right now. We go and put our life on the line, dealing with people that is not as serious as we are. We got to watch that. We got to watch that. So when you're talking about Dion 
making a moral commitment, signing a social contract with black people, and you saying, I'm coming to do something, and black mothers believing in you. So they offer up their son. They change the direction of their future because of you. I'm not trying to make one man so important, but I do understand the commitment of one man and what he can do. And we just going to give him a pass. We not, it's not going to happen here. That's why this issue is so profound because it's a benchmark for me in dealing with treasonous black people. It, it, it's a benchmark for me. And so the brothers don't even understand. The brother is not even understanding. Even if he did come from a black college, you're not understanding fully what these black colleges actually uh, do. What, what, what was happening? When Deion Sanders came to Jackson, Jackson began to develop. I hate to even assess that much credit to him. But at the time, it was a beacon of light. Jackson, I mean, black colleges had great coaches. Look at uh, Eddie Ross. We had great coaches. What we didn't have was attention drawn to us. We didn't have the light. So Byron Allen, after Deion Sanders came, after Deion Sanders came, Byron Allen invested in a network, billions of dollars in a network that would feature black college football. So you could go on there every Saturday and you can watch black college football. You couldn't have did that. And he wouldn't have done it if Deion Sanders had not made his commitment. I wonder what Byron Allen think about Deion right now. Because regardless of what the brother is saying, just that just got off the phone, brother, a deposit into black people is not as great as a policy made with black people. PWIs are making policy that makes sure that their institutions stay in operation and stay in power and stay the incubators of what it is that they want white supremacists to express. You can't just come depositing black people and say, okay, I've done enough. We made you. We made you. And this all that we deserve. And I'm not saying that you got to spend your life here. If Deion Sanders was not transparent with the administration down there, now everybody want to paint a bad picture on the administration. You ought to see the videos that I have. Deion Sanders standing at the uh, at the uh, podium to accept the, uh, the, 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 the SWAC championship trophy. He was he was beckoning to the uh, commissioner of the SWAT to hurry up, hurry up, man! Come on, give me this thing. I'm, I'm I got to go. He was terrible. But who said that? Who assassinated his character? But you you assassinating the character of people you don't even know that could be very viable people. They're sitting on the administration in Jackson, Mississippi, underfunded, operating in them pretenses. They don't steal money at white institutions. They don't steal money there. I even heard niggas say uh, Deion Sanders lost his toes in the jacket. He gave y'all two toes. See how, how crazy we get? He would have lost his toes anyway he was. But that's how crazy we are. He got his car broke in. Oh, ain't no crime in Colorado. They just killed all them people in the club. You know, they just had mass shoot, school shootings in, in Colorado. But this is what we do to, to us. We do this to our best. And that's, that's, that's why I'm so passionate about this, because this type of treachery and treason is being c- committed all over the black community. Like I said, in, the, in downtown City Hall, to the, to the pulpit, 
And they got to change. They got go, to change. I'm going to go to 267. Before I go to 267, coming right now, uh, up next, let me read to you two paragraphs. A, a college uh, the, uh, uh, environmental studies professor put an article about why is University of Colorado so white? That was his question. Uh, this is the university that that uh, um, Dion is going to, that he decided to go to instead of, say, Jackson. Let me read to you what is stated here. What he states, consider these facts. Over the past five years of the program, Environmental Studies, have enrolled 622 entering freshmen. Of those, of those, two have identified as African American. Since environmental studies was established in 1994 at the university, only 20 African American students entered our program as freshmen. Of the 25, 2,526 total students. The lack of diversity in our environmental studies program is no means unique across the various departments at our university. Currently, in the fall of 2021, Colorado University at Boulder has an undergraduate enrollment of 29,511 students, of which 802, or 2.7%, are black. In 2016, it was 2.5% that was black. So there ain't been much change in five years, six years, five years. That was my comment. Let me go back and finish. There's no way to sugarcoat this data. Long stated goals of campus leaders have been to increase diversity of its student population. Progress has been generously slow. This is no revelation. In 2020, report of the Education Trust gave the University of Colorado at Boulder an F for black student access. That report estimated that at Colorado in 2017, about 4.9% of 18 to 24-year-olds were black, a figure much higher than Colorado University Boulder's enrollment. Consider also that University of Colorado has a large portion of out-of-state students. 13.4% of African Americans, of Americans, are black. Excuse me. Colorado University is overwhelmingly inaccessible to black students. That's just a fact. Now, this was a professor there at the university that wrote this. Out of 29,500 students at Colorado University, only 802 are black. So, so what is he going there? What is he going there to do? Integrate the school? No. He's going there because it's clear they don't want blacks at that damn school. He's going there to put blacks on that football team so they can win some games. And believe me, the 802 blacks that are there, most of them is on the football team, probably the basketball team, and they might be playing a few other sports. 
That's why he's going there. He's taking the money to go there to help them build up their their program. They don't want black students necessarily at the university. They want black students on that team. So he'll go there and pull some recruits there to help their ass win some games. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Ain't no blacks mm-hmm. at that damn school. He's seen more blacks driving to his his job at Jackson than is at that damn school. What are you going to integrate it? I guess he's going to be a Jackie. They ain't interested in no integration there. They interested on blacks on the football team. And maybe he can bring some there. Like he said, his son going to be the quarterback. And maybe some of them coaches like Eddie George and them, he going to pull over to that school. They want blacks on the team so they can win some games. <laughs> Let's go to 267. 267? Two. Hey, uh, good evening, Ellie. I want to say good evening, Richard, and good evening to your guests. You know, um, I'm sitting here and I'm listening. And, uh, you know, I, I just got to be honest, man. Um, you're talking about white supremacy. You know, all I've been hearing is Deion Sanders bashing. But nobody said nothing about Brett Favre stealing $77 million from the welfare down there in Mississippi. Now, I'm not going to be sitting here pocket-watching no millionaire because I don't know what happened with that administration down there. Oh, he didn't steal it from Mississippi. Man, when, oh, please don't cut me off, brother. I ain't you know, cutting you off. But I'm not, he but, was giving it, it in Mississippi. The they gave it to him in Mississippi. And seeing those brothers on there passing young black athletes where y'all up on here bashing a man. You don't know what that man been through or what his intentions are, but you want to pocket watch him and bash him and his bad radio. And that's all I got to say. <laughs> Thanks for your call, brother. Uh, listen, uh, I don't care nothing about Brett Favre. And believe me, he didn't steal money from Mississippi. He was given money by Mississippi. Am I right, brother Patrick? <laughs> You're exactly right. Oh, okay. He didn't, steal, he didn't steal. He didn't steal nothing out the back door. Those those white officials gave him the money, and he gladly took it. Steal money from Mississippi. Okay. And I, and I think that what you know what was raised, brother Patrick. I think that the point that you, or at least because it's dear to my mind, that forget forget Dion. It's the social economic reality that was developed because of looking at that. Is that a moral? Is that something that we should have been focusing on? And then the other side of the question, well, would, and, I, and the brother and the brother brought up or brought up. Uh, I think Pat brought up about um, Byron Allen. Now, just looking at that, would he have came there if that man wasn't there? Would he have been able to make an agreement with CBS if that man wasn't there? All of these are social economic infrastructure questions that has nothing to do with the HBCU or Dion. It has something to do with whites who control the infrastructure of how things are. Entertainment is going to be equally exposed to all the markets. And we know that white America say they don't have no problem with leaving money on the table when it gets to black folks. Yeah. Federal Reserve said that. They don't have no problem with that. So it ain't about that. It's about 
Look what happened. Look what's, what was needed to be the catalyst for that economic, that economic infra, social economic infrastructure. That's what that's what that question, not him. I think I'm on. Let me let me grab a couple more of these uh, gentlemen before we uh, let's go to six six two in in Mississippi six six two. You open? Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I'd like to say thank you, Mr. Elliot, uh, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard. This is Brother Malik Haynes. Uh, I'm with the Black Liberation Movement under the leadership of Brother Patrick Lumumba. And I want to say that the, it's I'm, I'm, I'm in full agreement with Brother Patrick. He, he terminated the social contract for black America. When you give black youth that much hope and then you snatch it all away to go to a white university, it wasn't even a question whether he was going to another university. He went to a white university. I mean, that that's that's to me that's just that's unforgivable. A, a lily white university he, with with almost hardly no blacks there. Exactly. So he 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 has to he has to be held accountable for that, and I think he should be exposed nationwide and exiled from the black community. For that act of treason, as Brother uh, Lumumba said, and and that's all I have to say. Thank you uh, for letting me speak my piece, uh, Brother Elliot. Thank you for your contribution, brother. Let's go to another six six two number six six two. Six six two, you open? Let's put them back on hold. Let's go to six six two eight zero one. Peace, power, and peace, brother. Can anybody hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is Jahi Shay Achilles, on the tour list of the Black Liberation Movement, BYLC, the U branch of the movement. I would like to uh, comment right here about the Dion situation. I'm from, I'm from Austin. I'm born and raised in Austin, Mississippi, the home of Ole Miss, and. Uh, when Dion done, it was a treason because black folk in this state, we felt very, very proud of what Jackson State was accomplishing. And to have Dion leave JSU like that is treason. And black folk in this state was very, very proud. We was proud. Of, this was our football team. This was our football team. In the capital of Mississippi, the blackest, the blackest capital in the state, we felt proud, and we we don't we ain't have to root for Ole Miss, we ain't have to root for MSU or Southern Mississippi or any PWI in the state. We could root it for JSU and be super proud in our football team. This was our football team pride, and what Dion did was to show what black people. Like the bag, we want the bag, we want the money, we want the clout, we want all this, but we we so not invested in our own. We want we we we'd rather have a seat at somebody else's table instead of build our own. And let me say with Dion, he had all these black celebrities down there, all these black celebrities, and none of them could give something. Let me tell you, had Snoop Dogg, Gibby, and all you uh, celebrities down there. And they couldn't give nothing. 
to invest at our own table. This is the problem with our people right now, brother. This is our problem. And have sound bowls on this call being very disrespectful. We got to deal with them sooner or later. And I'm tired of these sound bowls being emotional jobbers for white supremacy. Let's, let's, get that, let's get that in the air right now. You talking about you, we pocket watching somebody else's money? No. Treason. It's treason. We ain't pocket watching. We ain't pocket watching. It's treason. Let's call it what it is. And stop being emotional jobbers for white supremacy. And stop being coons for white supremacy. And be black. Point blank, period. Now, what Dion done is treason to our people. He's going to leave an HBCU. And when he said God called him to HBCU to level the playing field, and then two years later, three years later, you want to jump ship to Colorado, where ain't no black people in there, in Boulder, Colorado. And then he don't have the, the nerve to say, ain't no crime there. You think crime is just going to uh, disappear in Boulder, Colorado? Please. Please. Let's be real for let's be real for a minute. This is an act of treason. This is an act of <laughs> I mean, excuse me, I'm a little fired up right now. Excuse me, but let's be point blank and clear. We gotta invest at our table instead of trying to beg, instead of trying to plead for a seat at somebody else's damn table. Let's be clear about that. And we get so caught in the glitz and glamour of these black celebrities. These black celebrities are not better than us. They are black in this country. These crackers, these Yorugals, look at them as rich slaves. That's what happened going on with, with Dion and Colorado. They saw what was going on in Jackson, Mississippi. They saw the balance of power starting to shift it. You had the number one crew in the nation come to JSU. That it anger white supremacy, the PWIs. So when they saw the accomplishments of Dion doing in JSU, they said, we got to get, we got to get this nigga now or the balance of power going to be shifted out of our hands. And he, and Dion said, and this is the, the, uh, how you say, what's the word I'm trying to find? The, the arrogance of this brother, the arrogance. He said, I'm coming to Colorado. I'm bringing 10 players for me from JSU. So you're going to disrupt everything that you built, Dion. Everything you said you're going to do. You sold a dream. You sold something. Talking about God led me to JSU. God led me to level the playing field. Please. And we fell for that? And I'm sorry. We fell for that. Not anymore. We got to hold these black celebrities accountable for their treason against black folks, point blank, period. And we need to be, they need to be dealt with. And those symbols that keep on saying, well, Brett Farr stole money from it. He ain't stole nothing. Tate Reeves gave him that money. University of Southern Mississippi gave him that money to build what? A volleyball stadium? So you stole from poor people in this state, which is the poorest state in this nation. You stole that. No, he ain't stole it. Tate Reeves and them gave him that. And we want to talk about, if we want to get emotional about that, we know white supremacy in whole in Mississippi. It's in every facet of this state. Truly in the head of the government of the state. And they need to be dealt with too. 
and there'll be a later conversation that we will have. Now, we as black people need to hold these black celebrities, these black athletes, these black personalities, whatever you want to call them. They do not care about black, the totality of our people. They care about individual gains. Worry about the bag. If we don't hold these people, these black people accountable, they're going to set us back. And we'll keep having the same conversation over and over again until they be dealt with, until they get whole accountable, point blank, period. This is a war. War on all facets of this country and this society. Until we as black people in this state understand that we're going to be still talking about, well, this and that and this dirt, until we truly as black people in this state and this nation Hold these black celebrities accountable. We're going to be still talking about this over and over again. That's well, the conversation that, that needs to be dealt with. And I'm tired of the emotional sandbows, the emotional jobbers for white supremacy. Let it be known right now, you will be dealt with. You will be dealt with. That comes from a 23 going to 24-year-old brother. You will be dealt with accordingly. And all I have to say, I yield my, I yield with this, brother. We as black people, true African-minded people, that know what white supremacy is doing and know what time it is, you better wake up. You better wake up and you better shape up real quick, in a hurry. And these black celebrities is not excluded from that. I yield my time, power and peace. Thank you for your contribution, brother. Let's go to third. Well, uh-huh. Yes, sir. Yeah, this brother Pat. I just want to say this. I just want to say this because that was Dahi Ashek. Now, that young man is 23 years old. And if people on this phone don't like what it is that Brother Lumumba has to say in concern of this matter, you better hope that we don't continue to be able to exist. Because that's the generation that we create. Now, what, 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 he sound angry. He sound no. He dedicated and committed because he judging things unlike the the adults who just got off this phone who judging things from a more uh, a money selfish, egotistical, arrogant standpoint and don't give a shit about their people. You better hope that Brother Patrick Lumumba is not able to keep his strength up and continue to build the forces around the black liberation cause here in Mississippi, you better hope I don't get the strength to continue to do it because that's what's being created right there. That's what's being created right there. And I don't know if there's any other organization in the United States of America that is producing young mindsets like that. Like that one you just heard. So to everybody that thinks we wrong, for coming at us for that, we ain't counting no goddamn pockets. We not count his pockets. That's public knowledge. What his pockets are. He was worth fifty million dollars before he came to Jackson. Deion Sanders said he the one understood the socioeconomic situation. He said that he's gonna level the playing field. That ain't just football. That's an economic uh, declaration. That's an economic de- declaration. Leveling the playing field. What playing field? the one that's tilted heavily toward predominantly white colleges. So this is the type of mind a 23-year-old 
that came to me when he was probably 21 years old. And this is what has developed in his mind. So if y'all want to feel the way you feel, think we don't hear town uh, people pockets. No, we hear tired of people selling black people out. It's been more black men in Mississippi. The reason why Mississippi hasn't been ran totally over is because more black men have always been here. The world is Jackson, the Amzin Moore, the Hartman Turnbull, the E.W. Steptoes, the Mega Evans. They have always been here. We ain't run off like a lot of your grandparents did. We still here. And when a nigga like Dion Sanders come and lie to us, we take issue with that. We take issue with that. And that's something that we have long forgotten, that morality, that moral backbone, that moral character. Tell nothing about his money. But apparently y'all do. We talking about what you said you were going to do. If you had told the United States Army that you're going to stay there until your time is up and you're going to fight and you leave early, they tell you you have a dishonorable discharge. But black people don't deserve that same kind of dedication and commitment. See, we don't think we shit. I got a serious problem with that. That's why we do what we do. That's why these brothers on this phone tonight. Because down here in Mississippi, we got a more emergent, a manhood that's taking place. So, yeah, we need this charge. And it's unpopular. We know it is. But it ain't going to stop us. We don't want to stand on the front line anyway. When we were down there standing on behalf of Emmett Till, I didn't see y'all. I'm, I'm talking to them, 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 them people that got off the phone. They think they fighting white supremacists, don't know their ass from the backyard. It's Mississippi. We standing right there. I ain't see no preachers out there with me. Sister Sterling. We're no black politicians out there. We're no black professionals out there. So that's what we doing. And it's going to be young black people like Jahi Ache that's going to be affected by what it is that we do. And they're going to be able to see Dion Sanders for more than just some celebrity gold-chain-wearing-ass nigga selling dreams to young black people. That's what we're building. We're building more character, and, and we're going to stand on it. Let me go to 347, 347. <clears throat> hey, what's happening, Richard and Elliot? You know, man... I'm going to say this, and you know where I come from. That young boy disrespected Ralph in the manner in which he did. He needed to be at Ralph's foot, learning something from Ralph. Listen to this Negro you got on the phone talking that BS about Sambones and Coons when what he's teaching that young boy. Did you have something that you want to add to the conversation? No, 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 let me finish this, brother, because it's disrespectful that here it is, a friend of yours for over 40 years. Wait a minute, you don't have nothing to do. Well, hold, 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 hold up, hold hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're talking about this issue of what Sanders did to the young people at Jackson State. You don't worry about me, my personal, you don't, come on, you don't, you don't play them goddamn games with me. I ain't, you're going to be off this damn phone. You don't get personal with me. You don't know me. 
Now, if you got something to add with the conversation, I'm more than happy to hear what you got to say, brother. But don't try to get personal with me. And I hope you understand it or you're going to be off the phone. Now, do you have something to say in reference to the conversation? The, the reality of the conversation is the ones that should be chastised is the damn administration. Because the administration ain't doing the necessary things to bring someone in to replace Dion. Let's talk about what Dion did for the university. Dion brought in better facilities. Dion brought in revenue. Dion got the field in better shape. Dion got notoriety in regards to the university. What did your administration do? They backstabbed them on putting forward the necessary money to facilitate certain things. They didn't work with them to get better contracts for the football teams in the whole division from which they play in. You understand what I'm saying? The things that Dion was trying to do with things to make the situation better because everybody who knows anything about college football and Dion knew that Dion would not be there for long. The reality is since Mississippi State is such a good school and all of that, why ain't they been able to replace Dion with somebody that continue what he laid the groundwork for? But you want to call Dion treasonous. You want to say that Dion took the money. Everybody in the sports industry knew that that was Dion was going to do. How did Dion start his career in coaching? By building a private school and using his kids and other people that he was affiliated to build it up. Then what happened? Mississippi State came to Dion and asked Dion to come and build Mississippi State. What did Dion do? Dion did what he had the ability to do, come in and recruit star players to build it up. What did the goddamn administration do to work hand-in-hand with Dion to take it to the next level with them knowing? See, they knew that Dion wasn't going to stay there for no longer than a couple of years. Did they put things in place so that Dion could leave and they could continue what he set forward and what he tried to do? No. Had they went out there and recruited a coach that could do the same thing as Dion? No. Now, are there other coaches that can do what Dion's doing? Yes. So why don't you go chase them that the white man ain't giving the chance to and build forward? How the hell you going to blame a man who took the opportunity to improve not only his life, but other black kids' life by putting them in a situation to go to Colorado and to do good <laughs> by himself and other black coaches who the administration of Mississippi State wasn't even trying to do nothing with. They wasn't building no damn 
institution of football or anything before Dion got there. So how the hell you gonna blame Dion because he moved forward as a man? He done left you the groundwork to build on it. But you think them niggas could build on it? Come on, brother. Let's stop playing the game and blaming Dion. Blame your damn administration who ain't going to do a damn thing to make it better. Hello? You done? Hello? Yeah, I'm done. I like to refute whatever bullshit you going to say, but yeah, I'm done. First of all, First of all, let me say this. I'm not going to even in a debate with you because obviously you don't know what you're talking about and none of that is corroborated about the administration. You don't fucking know that. But I will That's say this. Bullshit. You, you know it. All you okay. got to do is look at the paper. Line well, number one. Look at the pa- Wait a minute. When you say look at the paper, this man is in Jackson. You're talking about look at the paper. What are you talking about? Look at the paper. These people are there. They're on the ground. What paper? What paper are you talking about? And, and first of all, get the college right. I'm talking about, I'm talking the papers that I'm talking about. I'm talking State. about the Atlantic that wrote the article. I'm talking about ESPN that wrote the article. I'm talking about Yahoo that wrote the article. I'll even give you a little bit of a treat to do a little bit of research yeah, on. Well, well, how come you I don't know the why, why why you don't the right and talk about the battle that was going on between the administration and Dion and how they wasn't doing the necessary thing to build out the TV contract, how the TV contract wasn't up to pawn stuff, and how Dion was saying, well, why are we getting 200000 and other schools getting a million dollars and we settling for it? That's the type of bullshit that was going on that you don't want to discuss. But go ahead. You're not going to talk over the guests. Now, you made your statement. Let him uh, finish what he's saying. Go ahead, Brother Bradshaw. First, first of all, it's Jackson State, not Mississippi State. So that right there alone makes me understand that the rest of what you're saying may not be altogether what it it is. You keep saying Mississippi State. Mississippi State is in stock. Mississippi is a PWI. Where you get that information from? I agree with you. About Jackson, State. Jackson State. I agree with you. I miss. I miss you. I okay. used the wrong college, but what I'm saying is okay. Let him finish. ESPN let him finish. Let him finish what he's saying. You got corrected. Go ahead, brother Patrick. I'm correct. He's okay. correct. Okay. So. so because you throwing me off when you saying Mississippi State, this is Jackson State, and 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 and, and second of all, I don't, I don't understand how people are corroborating that this information is actual fact about the administration. Deion Sanders, when Deion Sanders accepted the job, it wasn't no time limit on the job. Okay, when he went on sixty minutes, this is when he started to say things as though he was going to entertain something if something came to him. He was never transparent with Jackson State about leaving. This was a this this was abrupt. So the, the school had no time to prepare for uh what y'all saying that they should be preparing for. They had no time to do this. Deion Sanders exemplified character that was unforthcoming of a head coach. All of this ain't getting into the news. All of this ain't getting into the news. 
So you can calm down, sir, about what it is that you're trying yeah. to say because none of these things are substantiated facts. But you feel very comfortable putting them out there as though they are. When they because not. you know the history of the you would know what I'm saying. I'm here in Mississippi, sir. I'm here in Mississippi. Sir, I know people down sir. on the ground in Jackson. Okay. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you go back and forth with the guests. Now you made a point uninterrupted for about ten minutes. Now he's going to finish what he's saying. He's right. You right, Elliot. I know I'm right. Go ahead, brother Patrick. You upset. You you upset, and I'm and I'm gonna calm down too, brother Elliot, because this is never how I want to be on your show. You know, but I understand how pervasive an issue this is, and when I hear people from. I don't know where the brother's from, but you're not from here. You're not from here. You're getting all these reports that haven't been validated about Jackson State Administration, which apparently has done a pretty good job up until the coming. You ain't know shit about Jackson State. Well, let, let me stop right there. You didn't know anything about Jackson State, sir, until Deion Sanders came. Okay? And we're not putting no uh, burden on Deion Sanders. What we're asking you to do is be transparent. And be real to black people. That's what we ask. And that seems like it's too much for us to ask. There was no transparency there. We didn't even know about anything about him leaving a month ago. You talking about infrastructure being put in place? What infrastructure have he put in place? What blueprint had he left? Everything that he built, he's taking. He's taking it with him. So what infrastructure have he put in place? Didn't they build the new locker room? Walmart? Didn't Walmart new build the new locker room? New locker get built all the time. New locker rooms get built all the time. Oh, what do you mean? That, 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 that new locker room? What, what, what that mean? Sir, okay. sir, that is, that, that. You, you being dishonest, sir, brother. Sir, you, before, sir, before, before, sir. before Dion got there, the locker room was trash. Dion got Walmart doing investment to repair and build up the locker room. You see, the thing the thing that makes this so crazy is that anybody, the administration knew it, Dion knew it, and people who are involved in sports knew that Dion hiring was only a stepping stone. The transparency is, and it didn't come out one day, that that the administration wasn't transparent with the people. Can I have a question? Can I have a question? Sure. Okay. Is that what we knew? We didn't know that when he came. The the administration did. How do you know what the administration knew?
it was it was basically once you saw the sixty minutes interview, you knew it was a wrap. The problem is nobody really wants to address, but they want to blame Dion for treason. Is the administration of Jackson State who knew that this was going to happen and did not place themselves in a position to deal with it? They hired a new coach, sir. Have they hired a new coach? Who are they talking to? No, nah, they still willing. They still willing. They didn't, if they had been prepared for his departure, they may have been prepared to hire a new coach. You, what you, in. what you're not doing, what you're not doing is acknowledging the deficiencies of Deion Sanders. I'm telling you, the man Deion was not. Sanders did not commit a treasonous act. Well, let me let me ask you something. What Deion is, let, let, bro, let, that's let, your problem. Let me ask you something. That's where you not get it. Let me ask you something, and see. Yes. Uh, and and then because we we done went over time, but let me ask you something before we uh, move on. Because <clears throat> I'm talking about principles now and ethics. That's something that our people have forgotten, because we've been here with Europeans, and it don't matter to Europeans whether they lie to one another. It don't, and it has happened to a lot of our people. It don't matter whether we deceive or lie to one another. We didn't come from a culture like that. And if you don't understand that, then maybe you ought to get with some of the historians that can tell you the culture that our people came from. Now, I'll give an example. Just say you're in New York. <clears throat> You've got a business that's been functioning. And I'm a man of means. Just say I'm a rich man and you know me. Or you don't know me. And I say, listen, I think I'm going to go to New York and help this brother out because he got a business, and I think I can help him. And then we talk, and you under the assumption that I'm there to really help you. And I'm there to help myself. Then after I get involved with you for a couple of years and you're intertwined with me, and you're developing relationships, maybe people are investing in your business now because I'm there with you. And all of a sudden I say, well, listen, I'm pulling out. I'm, I'm done with this. You don't think that something is wrong with that? Yes or no? No. You don't? Oh, okay. Listen, you answered it. Thanks. Thanks for your call, brother. <laughs> Thank you for well, your you call. Gotta, you got it. You got no, 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 no. You answered it. No. I don't want to understand why you right. you answered it. Thanks, I, I, man. I'm telling you. I'll talk to you well, later what on. Am I supposed to Listen, say? I'll talk I'm to you. To I'll talk to you later on. I'll talk to you later on. And not be able to put Th- it in contact. Thanks for your call, man. I'll talk to you Did later. Did he not help? Did he not help build the Peace, man. Talk to you later. Come on, man. Hey, listen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Talk to you later. Yeah, there you go, bro. Thanks, bro. As always, have a good one. Talk to you, brother Patrick. Let, let, let me. Yes, I'm gonna give like, give me two minutes. Let me get because I promised this caller he could come back, and then Richard, then we gonna we gonna close it down. But let me give, give me two one. Let's go back two one five because yes, I promised sir. him he could come back. Two one five. Two one five. Are you there? I guess he's not there. No problem. Brother Patrick, it was good conversation this evening. And listen, that's why, you know, when me and Richard do this program, we try to bring people that are involved in situations to the mic. 
because, you know, sometimes I can talk about a thing, but I'm not there. I can talk about what's happening in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I'm not there. So what we try to do on the program, if we see something going on in a certain area, then we try to reach out to brothers and sisters that are in that area, that are involved in the fight. That's why you were on this evening talking about not only this situation, but the situation dealing with Emmett Till and the Emmett Till family. That's why we had Sister Patricia Sterling on. That's a cousin of Emmett Till. Because some people see what's going on in different areas, and they just look at it like, well, okay, that's what they're doing. They don't know that that Mm -hmm. our people are putting their lives on the line dealing with some of these whites, these white psychopaths. They're threatening their lives and, and stuff like that. This stuff is no joke. So, so I always have respect, me personally, I always have respect for people that are activists out there. Because there's a quality in to being able to organize, and there's a definite quality in being able to be an activist. So the respect is always there for brothers and sisters that do what you do. Brother Richard, before we wind up, man, anything you want, last word? Other, other than, you know, I'm stuck on this, you know, and I appreciate um, you bringing this to my attention of all the language I've heard around um, this and this particular thing about Dion. And again, is for me, is two things come up. Do we expect, do we, do we expect, do we expect the principle and ethics to be, um, the way I interpret it, race conscious? Do we expect that? And is there sacrifice by taking that position, regardless of what station of life you're in, of taking in that position? Um, and this, this, this moment, it brings that out again. And there's a lot of us who don't think that we have to have, have principles and ethics that relates to being race conscious. That's the reality we have to deal with in our internal fight. And this, but the social economic aspect of this in this moment, when celebrity entertainers become economic for the black community, economic engines in and of themselves, not for themselves or other individuals, but for a whole economic, social economic infrastructure. That's something we have to seriously look at and, and really explore and understand as we look at the next generation. Because some of these entertainers, a lot of these entertainers are not created by their own demise. And they're saying that. They're created by somebody else. I guess that's all I have to say. Brother Patrick, hey, man, thanks for joining us this evening, man. It was, uh, it was a lively discussion, man. Um, I'm, looking, I'm, looking oh, yes, for, I'm looking for you to start back up. Well, without and, a doubt, we will. And if you can't, and, and if uh, you can't do it, you send that, that young brother that was on here and let him, let him do it. <laughs> well, we, we ain't none of these brothers going over, uh, 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 brother Elliot and uh, brother Richard. But I will say this in light, you know, of the whole conversation. You know, now that things have come to look calm, because it really is a civic and intelligent conversation. It's not one that should take us to the fever pitch of our voice and be at each other's throat. Yeah, you're right. uh, You know, but this is the thing, you know, uh, what we're talking about is very critical, and it it should be looked at 
too, like I said, intelligent lens. You know, we talking about one man here, but at the same time, we talking about the impact of one man. And I'm gonna put it on a, on another level so that we can see uh, clear. You know, as we exit this conversation, the present mayor of Jackson is Chuckway Lumumba Jr. Well, his father is Chuckway Lumumba Senior, who's no longer with us. But that man had a vision. And this is what's so powerful. And I and I hope that brother is listening. That man had a vision for Jackson, Mississippi, for a reason. See, some of us have a more intricate understanding of black people and our cause and our history here in the United States of America. Chuck Way knew that Jackson, Mississippi was the capital of black America. And see, I guess that's what's so embedded in my heart. Because I've seen the vision of Chuck Way coming to fruition. Chuck Way, when he gained the seat of mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, made a decree. He said that if you own business, you want to develop business, black, come to Jackson, Mississippi. That's very intentional. In some kind of way, I guess, in the cause of what it is that my ancestors and the spirit is in me causing me to push here in Mississippi so hard, that resonated when Deion Sanders, who don't know shit about what Lumumba was talking about, found it in his heart, that's what I want to believe, to say, you know what? I'm going to parlay my celebrity to help my people. Now, in hindsight, he may not be that type of person, really. He may just be an explorer, like what I feel he had done. He clearly had left Jackson, Mississippi in a worse state than when he came. See, these people not seeing it, clearly. He left this and he left that. He took that. And now he took the opportunity that he thought he gave, uh, 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 was seen as an opportunity by young black people. They not having that thought now. I know I'm here. I'm here. I don't have some students. They inbox me. They call me. And they tell me, man, we thought Dion was here for us. But see, these people, these agitators, people that's agitated with how we talking about that, they don't They don't see that. They don't care about uh, the, uh, those young black people who lost hope. They rather think that Dion Sanders left some type of blueprint. They ain't seen the viciousness of Deion Sanders, the arrogance that he began to exemplify. So they want to say that all these reports are corroborated and, 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 and the administration is deficient. Well, they say that every time. These schools were deficient all the time. Every black college uh, football program in the SWAC need a new locker room. But what they don't have is a millionaire that's coming to saying that he want to coach there. So, with that being said, I just wanted to shine a light on the late, great Chuck Way Lamuma, who had a vision for the black milk. In some kind of way, I related that in what Deion Sanders was aspiring to do, even if he was ignorant of it. He made a promise to black people, and he left. And these people want to say, well, he did what he had to do. No, he didn't. And I understand that they can't judge that from a moral standpoint. So 
that's all I have to say, uh, Brother Elliot. Uh, we're going to keep on pushing, brother. And whenever you like to have me on, I would most definitely be willing to uh, come on. Thank you, brother. We'll, we'll talk soon. No doubt. Peace. Thank you. Take care now. Peace. Richard. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we went a little over time, but it's time to wind things up here, man. I want to, uh, before we go, just get the lineup on time for Awakening Media. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's going to be some schedule changes. So I want to I want to announce those. I will announce African perspectives, and I'll announce uh, a time for awakening on Fridays from eight until because it'll be some scheduled changes for some of the other programming uh, moving forward, especially in January. But I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school
Thank you. 